0: Next week, the TARDIS lands on a sunny beach, but where is it, and why is the reception so unfriendly?
1: Why do they want to harm us? Why indeed. Over here! Run! I can't! I can't! You must! It's our only chance! Hurry! Come
0: on! Why has this strange woman rescued them? Doctor Who and the Enemy of the World begins next Saturday. Welcome to Who Worth Watching, we're exploring this classic series from the beginning to see what's still worth watching for a modern audience. Today, we're talking about the first of two stories in a row that were lost for 40 years before being found in a television basement in war-torn Nigeria. Is it a television studio basement? Yeah, that's fair. It's a television studio basement, but (laughs) I'll talk more about that in a bit. So this is the 1968 story, Enemy of the World. I'm your host, the most wonderful and marvelous podcaster to ever fall from the sky. (laughs) My co-host is Guy, the podcast security chief who looks suspiciously like Henry Kissinger. (laughs) It's a scurrilous lie. I look like Oric Goldfinger. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, it's a really interesting story that, you know, this and the next story were gone for 40 years, and... Because in the modern world, you know, we can't have nice things. (laughs) So I I remember distinctly, so it was almost exactly 10 years ago that these were found. And once they were cleaned up, they were released on iTunes. So everybody had access to them immediately. You know, they didn't have to order a DVD or anything. A huge excitement, of course, in the the Who world. And as as I mentioned in our previous episode— one of the they both had like one episode or something, and based on the one episode that was available, one of these stories people liked and one of them they didn't. And then after we got the whole stories, most people changed their opinion. So uh we're gonna see what, what you think, uh hopefully going in naive mm-hmm. on that. But <laughs> what I'm referencing on We Can't Have Nice Things is the guy who found these spent years going around the world and Trying to find these things, right? And so he was literally going to television stations in different countries, you know, going into their basement, going through hundreds of hours of, you know, cricket scores and, <laughs> and all this stuff, trying to find interesting stuff, mostly looking for, for Doctor Who. So after a huge amount of effort, he goes to Nigeria and goes to this, this TV station And it's literally war-torn Nigeria, right? So, and and they're very suspicious. Here's this white guy coming in. Is he trying to take some of their culture? You know, I mean, his life was literally in danger doing Mm. this. And he manages to find these two complete stories, which is just amazing. And he comes. He comes back. He gives them to the BBC. And what happens? The fan community decides that he actually found all the missing Doctor Who stories and he's holding them back, and he's uh, you know, going to blackmail the BBC or not give them or whatever. And, and this becomes the big story, right, and the big rumor. And this guy's like, screw you guys. I'm not putting my life on the line anymore if, you're gonna, this, you know, if this is going to be the result. Like, you're not appreciative. You're not happy with what, what we got. Instead, you're just trashing me and giving me crap for the idea that somehow I'm hiding all the hidden stories. Ha, ha, ha.
2: Ah that's yeah that's lousy that's that's too bad because i mean i i i i love to hear about lost knowledge or lost culture that's uh rediscovered i mean you know in in terms of culture. I'd probably rather see some old, you know, Greek and Roman texts you know, than uh, uh, than Doctor Who episodes, but hey, you know, it's better than nothing. It's good. Yeah, it's, they shouldn't have been uh, taped over in the first place. Your priorities
0: are pretty screwed up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, and I mean, the the other thing is that it's not like, oh, okay, another 50 years, maybe we'll find something. Because this is, you know, film and videotapes is decaying, right? I mean, so. Oh, yeah. It's it's kind of, we're kind of getting to the end of life for this kind of stuff, you know? Um, I mean, it's not uncommon when people open old film cases and everything that it's just a big pile of goop, right? But, right, and uh, and especially when you go to early like silent film and everything, that stuff was stored on nitrate that was explosive, right? So,
2: oh boy!
0: Yeah. yeah. Uh, so uh, who knows how much well, more Ricky we'll Ricky
2: Jay, go. The, uh, the magician who passed away a mm-hmm. few years ago, he used to collect these uh, these dice that were made out of some kind of early plastic. And he, I think he actually published a book of pictures of these dice that were just sort of rotting. Mm-hmm. You know, they were falling apart. Just, you know, the material just didn't hold up over. It held up over a long time, but not a very, very long time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, a, that's definitely neat. And the videos were quite watchable, at least the ones we've seen so far. So, mm-hmm. knock on wood. Uh, the other rumor these stuff. days
0: is that there are a number of people in England who have other missing material and what people are, if that is, in case that's true, people have been calling upon the BBC to change their policy because a lot of the people who have material, it's because they worked at the BBC and they grabbed this stuff before it got destroyed, which was again, you know, against their contract. Right. So mm-hmm. if they come out and admit it, the BBC could technically, you know, I don't know if there's a, uh, you know, turn moment on this or whatever, uh, uh, but BBC yeah. could, could technically yeah. pursue them. So there are people saying the BBC should issue, you know, kind of a... a An amnesty. Yeah, so that so that people will come forward. Now, again, I don't know, you know, how true it is. But it could, it's certainly yeah. more realistic than going to Nigeria or whatever. So, uh, oh, sure.
2: Yeah, yeah, that would be... You'd think that would be a sensible thing to do because uh, it may not be a huge guaranteed audience, but there's definitely... Uh, you know, Doctor Who completionist collectors who would have to have the newest Blu-ray of the lost Doctor Who episodes. You know, and plus they can release it as I understand they do uh, with current ones like that. What was a Galaxy Four? Mm, mm. It had its own DVD. It wasn't like a boxed set of all the right. Doctor Who episodes. You know, so right. so they they've got a. Pretty much a guaranteed money machine there if they can make it easy for these people to come forward.
0: Yeah, I would think. Yep. <laughs> so we're in favor <laughs> of Amnesty. Yeah. Or free the free Doctor Who 7. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, well, let's get into this one. So, episode one, well, you know, we've seen it a few times, kind of like with. The Tomb of the Cybermen and stuff, they started to get a little more adventurous and do outdoor shots and everything. So this one's very different. The TARDIS materializes on a beach, and the crew exits. And this is a real beach. It's not a set or anything. And the Doctor is treating it as a holiday. <laughs> uh, well, Victoria <laughs> and Jamie are kind of skeptical. And he's running around on the beach and saying, oh, come and join me. And he's stripping all his clothes and going in the water. And this looks terrible in such a cold windy you know like i would if i were on vacation there i would be in the hotel bar i would not be, you know. <laughs> i probably would be
2: too but uh, considering they've just been to Two different ice worlds. Yeah.
0: Uh, <laughs> you know, this this is nice by comparison. Well, I guess so. <laughs> As the doctor's rushing down to the water, he tells them to look for buckets and spades in the TARDIS. So, <laughs> and Jamie's like, what do they want us to do with that? And Victoria's like, oh, we're going to create sandcastles. So. <laughs> and uh, the doctor's skipping around deliriously, but then he notices some kind of craft further down the beach. And we get a close-up of this craft, and there are three guys... And one pulls out binoculars and finds the doctor very interesting. A thought did occur to me
2: that when we find out why he's interesting, I'm thinking there was an episode in the Hartnell episodes where something like this. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking it might have been uh, taken place in France, but it's a easy memory. Yes, the French one where
0: they sat around in pubs. Hartnell also played the chaplain or whatever. Unfortunately... We couldn't see that because it was, you know, mostly lost. It was one of the animated ones. One of the connections between these two things in my reading is that both of these stories sort of came about because the actors, you know, Hartnell and uh, Troughton, wanted to play something different than the Doctor. Mm -hmm. Now, Hartnell didn't get that much as the other character, but Troughton actually gets uh, a lot of time as this other character, as we'll see. Yeah. Uh, so the doctor strips down to his long johns and goes in the water. And again, and as near as I could tell, this is Patrick Charlton and not, you know, a stunt person. And I, I admire his bravery because that had to be freaking cold
1: water. <laughs> so,
2: yeah. You know, the British do have their little beach resorts, though, you know, like there's, uh, uh, what's that one? Is it Brighton
0: mm-hmm. where people right. go? And- I know Brighton Beach is a phrase I've heard, yeah. Uh, so one of the guys at this craft calls uh, a woman in a control room. Now, she, we're going to see a lot of her in this story. And she is dressed very interestingly um, in a kind of tight-fitting costume that is... I mean, it both shows off her attributes, but it's not uh, overly sexual. But the whole feel, as we'll yeah. see in this in, the, in, the, in this whole first sequence, is James Bond, right? And uh-huh. you see over and over again, because I, mean, I think... <laughs> James Bond was so successful around this period, right, the 1960s, that all the TV shows in Britain were James Bond, you know, the Avengers, et cetera. And, you know, even, um, well, then uh, the actress who played Susan had wanted to play Susan as an Avengers-like character, which was based on James Bond.
2: And this would have been around the time period when uh, McGowan was making that secret agent show, right? Yeah,
0: totally. Totally. And he had been offered Bond at one point, right? And so, but he wouldn't, he found it too immoral. So, so, you know, she, anyway, so she has this very kind of Bond-like, I don't know, I guess leather chaps and everything. uh, Kind of looks like she's in a riding suit, you know, a horse riding suit. Yeah,
2: they're sort of, yeah, they are like equestrian pants almost. They're not skin tight exactly, but
0: they're very close. Yeah. So this guy says to this woman over the phone, he's here. Yeah, and she says it's impossible for him to be there, and she wants him to wait until she talks to Giles, whoever that is. But they hang up and arm themselves.
2: I think it's Giles.
0: If yeah, I, remember. I could, I I could Giles. be wrong. Who was
2: also the mentor on Buffy the Vampire Slayer?
0: <laughs> well, not the same actor, I think. No, no, no. Yes. I
2: mean the name Giles. Yeah. That
0: was. <laughs> And now it's funny because we see the doctor coming out of the water and he's completely dry. <laughs> it's like I,
2: I, I didn't catch that, but I, I believe it. I'm sure the case is that,
0: you know, he had already like waded into the water and everything. And now he's all dressed up in his his suit. And I, I'm sure the case is was light, and was like, you're not making me wet again. Because, you know, <laughs> and no one's going to notice, you know, so. And the doctor then points out the craft that's coming toward them, and he says it's a hovercraft. And this is another very 60s and James Bond thing, right? People were obsessed with hovercraft in the 60s. You'll see them in all these TV shows and everything, and it seemed like it was going to be the big well, thing. They didn't, you yeah, know. How could they, don't, they not be? I know. And it's kind of unfortunate because <laughs> they could go on the water and on the sand. I'm not even totally sure why they never really took off, but. I bet they did. get lousy fuel economy, though. Probably. So um, as the craft is coming toward them, the doctor decides this doesn't look good and has them all run away. And it was a good idea because the crew on the hovercraft starts shooting at them. But <laughs> they all have pistols and they're a long way away, so they don't have a chance. <laughs>
2: yeah, and these these pistol sound effects, I don't know if they were trying to make them sound like futuristic weapons, but they they sound
0: only remotely like gunshots, <laughs> to me at least. Mm-hmm. So the crew flees over the dunes and hides out, and one of the bad guys gets near, and Jamie gets in his cragador and, you know, jumps up and yells cragador oh. and hits him in the... You know, I, the I think
2: he says brigadoon.
0: No, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's craggadoor, because I think that's his um that's his saying. Uh, oh, okay. But we may have to go back to the recording on that. but I don't know. I, I
2: thought I heard it clearly because there's so few things i hear clearly in these doctor (laughs) who episodes but but you could be right i could be wrong he says something anyway
0: (laughs) yeah and now a helicopter appears and that was the other big i mean there's just so many things that were happening at the same time in all these 60 shows this is true in the prisoner too right having a helicopter was a big deal uh in your show and you know it was expensive and you'd usually have them for like one day and you'd have to get all your shots in and and all that and so this helicopter appears and it's that the 60s helicopters were very different. It's like they were relatively recent invention. And I don't know how anyone was in them, right? Because they usually didn't have a door. So
1: you just sort of have the, <laughs> the
0: side is open and, you know, you would just fall out or something if you weren't wearing your seatbelt. Yeah, it's it's a very
2: lightweight looking helicopter. It looks, it looks to me like, um, I know in Far Cry 5, there's a model of helicopter that's like based on a 50s or 60s. Model that's basically a bubble with a little wireframe behind mm-hmm. it, almost. Uh, and this is similar to that, although the cockpit isn't perfectly a bubble; it's more of a sloped thing. But it's a, its kind of cool looking.
0: Yeah. So when the helicopter appears, the the bad guys, or the, at least you know who are shooting at the crew, they realize this is Astrid, which is the one they called. But they want to finish off the doctor before she can interfere. So there's some weird relationship there where they immediately told her about the doctor. But then they don't want to let her interfere because they they realize she's not going to let them kill the doctor, which is what they want to do. So the helicopter lands and the crew jumps in. And, and you know, for being an early helicopter, there's like five people in there and they all fit. So that's pretty nice. Uh, And it takes off while the guys are shooting at it. Uh, but, which is a little weird because now they're shooting at their own colleague, right? Because so, <laughs> they know that she's flying it. And uh, the doctor notices that the helicopter has this sign in the back uh, that says Austral- Australasian Zone. And the, uh, you know, the the permit is valid until December 2018, the far future. <laughs> <laughs> Just I mean, one year from Blade Runner. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, The doctor then describes the copter to Jamie as a primitive flying machine, and Astrid announces that a hole has been shot in the fuel tank and it might blow up at any moment. So They then land and go into a house, and turns out Astrid had been shot in the arm and she's bleeding. And so while the doctor is fixing up her arm, he asks her who the men who are chasing them are, and she says they hate the doctor. And he says, me, I'm the nicest possible person. And the doctor asks Astrid if she hates him. <laughs> she says, you're the most wonderful and marvelous man ever to fall out of the sky. <laughs> and he, he's very flattered by this. Uh, and he says he'll do anything for her. <laughs> so, pretty uh, pretty easy uh, there. And she wants him to do something that may cost his life. And when she says that, he's sort of like, oh, well, I don't know about that. <laughs> uh, she wants him to talk to Giles Kent, who will explain everything. That he declines. She explains that the doctor resembles very closely a man who is determined to be dictator of the world—a man called Salamander. Um, there's, I, I'd say I think it's a pretty good name for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a,
2: it's a little goofy, but it's also it uh, works. <laughs> Uh, you yeah. Salamanca is the name of the, some of the villains in uh, Breaking Bad.
0: And <laughs> okay. That's a good one. I didn't get that far in the show. <laughs> uh, the dudes in the hovercraft show up outside. They found them. Everyone hides. <laughs> it's just, it's just, uh, this, for something that's trying to be, you know, Jane Fon and kind of sophisticated, this is another very Doctor Who thing. Astrid chooses to hide by crouching down next to a chair in the middle of the main room in plain sight. Like, I mean, there's still, you know, <laughs> you know, anybody, a five-year-old would see her. She's not hidden at all. <laughs> yeah, but the first man who comes in with a gun doesn't see her right in front of him behind the the chair, so she does some karate moves and flips him onto the floor. And he stands up in front of the windows because, you know, the 60s house, right, so it's very big windows. And uh, his back is to the windows, and he gets shot, so his... His colleagues thought he was, you know, one of the crew and shot him.
2: Yeah, yeah, that
0: was a bit of a bit of a misfire there. I think <laughs> yeah. uh
2: not literally a misfire, but uh, <laughs> a bad uh bad choice.
0: <laughs> yep. So, his colleagues enter and discover what they've done in shooting him, and meanwhile, Astrid and the crew have escaped outside. So, the remaining two bad guys decide to go and steal the helicopter and get above them, which seems like a good plan. Except they don't know that the fuel was leaking, so as soon as they get in the air, they blow up. <laughs> and Astrid actually calls it. She says,
2: oh, they're going to blow up. Like, <laughs> Lady, you just flew all the way here without it blowing
0: up. How do you know that now's the time? <laughs> and I, I re-watched this shot a few times, and it must be a model shot because, of course, they didn't blow up an actual helicopter. But it actually looks really good. I mean, you know, it, it looks yeah, like it's the actual I, helicopter blowing up. I thought it was fine. Which reminds me of the story about um, Roger uh, Corman, you know, who's famous for making cheap uh, films, especially mm-hmm. early on. he, made, and all he made
2: one of our uh, Seven Samurai emulators.
0: Yeah, if yeah I which was right. a surprisingly good film. And yeah. uh, he, oh, Joe Dante. I mean, so, the you know, probably the biggest um, benefit that Roger Corman gave to the world is that he was the first person to hire Joe Dante and Francis Ford Coppola and, you know, just all sorts of people started uh Martin uh, Scorsese started their career there Mm. because he would, you know, he didn't care and he'd hire whoever and they were brand new and and they started their career with him. Uh, Mm. Joe Dante would cut the commercials or the trailers for their movies and they, they had done this actual shot of blowing up a helicopter. So Corman was like, put the shot in all the trailers. <laughs> and, you know, Dante is like, but but when people watch the movie, they're going to see that it doesn't have a helicopter that blows up. And he's like, by the time they come in and watch the movie, they're going to forget all about the helicopters. <laughs> <laughs>
2: That is not uncommon for uh, movie trailers to include stuff that isn't in the finished product.
0: But yeah, more, he may have been a pioneer of it. More recently, <laughs> a movie I like quite a lot, Rogue One, which I actually think is one of the three good Star Wars movies, and that all the others are not good. And, and people can fight me, but <laughs> anyway. Rogue One was really good. And it actually, for a moment, seemed like the Disney handling of Star Wars was going to be good. And then, you know, it turned out not to be. But anyway, (laughs) there was a big controversy because in the trailer, there's this really cool shot where she's up on this, um, you know, typical Star Wars tower thing. Mm -hmm. And a uh, uh, X, I don't know if it was an X Wing or something else, you know, hovers up behind her. And it's a, mm, it's a right. really cool shot. And it was totally, it wasn't in the movie. You know, they just did it really? for the trailer. Yeah,
2: so. No, that's funny because I think there is some kind of shot like that where they're up on the antenna towards the end of yeah, the they, movie. They are on
0: that antenna, uh, but there's not a point where where that shot where happens. Where a ship
2: yeah. comes in. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't quite remember. I will say the first time I saw Rogue One, I was really disappointed because wow. the last part of the movie felt to me like... It was just one arbitrary obstacle after another. Mm. Like we have to do this, but yeah. first we have to do this, but to do that first we have to do this. And you know, so, which is, is normal storytelling. I mean, that's the way it works, but it just seemed especially heavy handed to me for some reason but then I watched it again maybe a couple of years later Um and I liked it considerably better so uh, well, and my, I agree I, with I've, you
0: there's a couple of silly things in there and part, you know where they're trying to get some of the stuff by going up. Uh, there's a couple of silly stuff but the characters are so good it also introduced me to Donnie Yen who played the, the blind he's Jedi. the blind guy yeah. Jedi yeah and he was amazing right in that and, and he was good I ended up watching a bunch of his films and learning all about him and you know and uh uh, he's a really amazing, amazing guy. And he, in things like this, because, you know, it's the case of like, oh, let's get the, you know, the foreign martial arts guy and bring him in. And they wanted to do much more stereotypical stuff. And one of the things that Johnny and Donnie and does in these cases, he said, well, why don't we make my character actually good? <laughs> and So he, <laughs> he, you know, had them change a lot of things that made the character much better than it was going to be originally where it was going to be more of a more of a stereotypical character. huh? He's also he'll probably be well known because he was in the last John Wick film um as a, as a major character, mm. John Wick 4. Oh,
2: is that number 4? Yeah. I haven't seen that one yet, but I definitely want to. He, he plays another say.
0: blind uh, guy in that
2: one. <laughs> no, no, couldn't. Yeah. Well, that was in uh, in San Andreas. There was a Asian guy who was blind and he could he actually competed in races, uh, you know, like car races. <laughs> so, it was completely uh, unrealistic, but uh that was fun. That was part of the you know, sort of over the top
0: story. But and for anyone who, who liked you know, Donnie in in Rogue One, I highly recommend watching his Ip Man series, which is a in the rest of the world, a hugely popular series. Huh. And it's it's great, you know, martial arts and storytelling stuff, yeah. You know, um slightly based on a real person, but you know. Anyway. Okay. Uh so we had the helicopter blow up and the crew is now in a room with the man giles that she wanted them to meet and he declares the doctor looks to be incredible he looks just like salamander and uh <laughs> they've had a little trend the last few stories you know because they don't know what's going on the doctor explained you remember previously he was like oh well we were at a tibetan uh you know, retreat or whatever. And, and now he's like, well, we were on ice, shall we say And Of course, the last story was the ice, (laughs) Uh, the ice warriors rather. So Giles shows them a video of Salamander addressing the United conference on food supplies. So the United conference, some kind of world government. And this is totally, you know, Soviet union slash Hitler stuff, more Soviet union, right? Where he's essentially giving this. So Salamander who does look suspiciously like the doctor, he except his hair is, you know, parted differently and and stuff. He's essentially giving a five year plan about, you know, grain and stuff to the world and he's saying, Well, we now have in orbit the Mark Seven sun catcher and this has been redirecting sun to key areas like Canada and Ukraine, which is interesting, Ukraine being in the news these days for the war. Wow. Yeah. And I actually work with somebody in Ukraine and but that's another story. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so but unfortunately, um, Ukraine was recently devastated by the elements, uh, and this'll, this will this just sort a of subtle little thing that will become important later.
2: Which would be uh, not their first famine, because if I remember right, it was the Ukraine
0: mm-hmm. that Stalin
2: yeah. really uh, put he, the screws. He to.
0: starved many, many people in Ukraine. Yeah, and part of the part of the trick that Stalin would pull is if you're a farmer, you got to have seeds, right, um, for your next season. So what they would do is they would go into a farm in the Ukraine and go into the, and they would find their collection of seeds, you know, their bags of seeds or whatever. And they'd put this on video and show how these farmers have been holding out. You know, they had this stuff that they'd been Uh, keeping from the people. hoarders. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So you were screwed no matter what. But, you know, good news is that Salamander says there's now 10,000 robot harvesters moving in to get 50 million tons of flour. Uh, in Ukraine, so things are improving. And the doctor, you know, says, "Oh, Salamander's remarkably handsome and a very persuasive speaker." <laughs>
2: <laughs> yep, and he does. I think there is slightly different makeup for Salamander. I think they do some stuff around his eyes, make it darker, like darken his eyebrows maybe, and you know, little things. But but it's still pretty recognizably trodden. It is
0: him and, but, but also between the makeup and maybe what he's doing with his face. He, the Salamander has kind of a, a stronger lines to his face, you know, where the doctors of mm-hmm. soft lines and you know, kind of a kinder person, you know. Yeah. And I mean there are there are actors who who don't need makeup to do that, right? They can just sort of hmm. change how their face looks and I you know, I don't know uh, how much of that was makeup and how much of that was him.
2: I think he probably is a good enough actor that he could have pulled it off without any makeup at all. But yeah, well, well, one thing is uh, Troughton has very blue eyes, and I think they de that in mm. in The Salamander, because he's Mexican. Uh, <laughs> there right. are blue-eyed Mexicans,
0: but uh, not as common. So Giles tells them that many people call Salamander the shopkeeper of the world, and even the savior of the world, because... Until Salamander invented his sun store, people were starving. And again, I mentioned last week in talking about the story. There's kind of a true thing here, which I'm not. I didn't bother go and look and see was that before or after this. But there's what's called the Green Revolution, where a few people came up with some innovative ways to get higher yields from crops that saved literally millions, maybe billions of, of people in the world from from starving. So there, there's kind of a true aspect to this, whether or not it actually. They knew about it at the time,
2: yeah. I, I remember reading about one guy in particular, and I can't remember his name. Oh, I should credit him I for did... something. I, I'm thinking it's like Nathan Borglum or uh, something.
0: Uh, well, <laughs> that's close. It is Borglum, uh, uh, you know. Uh, we should. I was avoiding it because I couldn't remember either. It's been a while, uh, but we might as well. Uh, Norman Borlaug. Borlaug. So you Norman got you got Borlaug. several letters correct in there. <laughs> I felt bad. Yeah, he's kind of credited as being the primary person who came up with these um these ideas. But, of course, he was
2: increasing the number of carbohydrates. So was Yeah, really there are people, people who consider there. him evil for that. And
0: I think, well, <laughs> <laughs> that's another podcast. I think it's a little bit silly. Yeah, millions of people but, didn't starve, but they had too many carbohydrates. Okay.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe not starving is
0: the more immediate concern, <laughs> exactly. I think. Yeah. Uh, let's see. So, given, you know, how wonderful Salamander obviously is, the crew wants to know why anyone would want to kill him. And Giles says, "Well, Salamander is really doing these things for his own benefit." And Giles is in a high position before Salamander ruined him because Giles is becoming suspicious. Um, but to me, that just sounds like you know disgruntled employees, sour grapes. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should trust Salamander. <laughs> Giles says Salamander is afraid of him because in this society, the testimony of a dead man still has legal weight. So that's kind of interesting. Mm. Well, I
2: mean, the testimony of a dead man—if it was something that he'd written down, like an affidavit—or mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, that yeah, that, it makes sense. I mean, I think our legal system works similarly, and you know, I mean, if if somebody collected evidence of something before he died, that evidence would still be, assuming it yeah, wasn't just hearsay. It's, it's and weird.
0: Stuff, not, I don't know all the rules for this. I think there are times where you can get it in, but there are times you can't also. So, in the Amber heard Johnny Depp trial, there was clear audio of an event in Australia when she threw a bottle at him that cut off the end of his finger. Hmm. And they could not use that audio in the trial, at least the full audio, because one of the people there had died. And therefore, it became hearsay because that person couldn't testify. So you get this weird thing where anybody outside the trial can listen to this and you know exactly what happened. But, in right. the trial, they get to pretend something else happened because you didn't you can't hear that recording, so they can make up a different story, oh, which wow. is a really weird thing about trials right i mean that's yeah. you know if if you're the you know on the jury you're getting the story you're being told, and you don't know the stuff you're not being told you know? right you know? sure Hmm. and Giles now shows some pictures of people who mysteriously died shortly after meeting with salamander, and again. Talk about predicting the future. This is exactly what happens with Vladimir Putin, right? If he doesn't like you, I mean, there's a, a rash of people who fall downstairs in Russia. You know?
2: Yeah. A real yeah. problem.
0: They got some stair problems there. You know, in, in Czechoslovakia, it used to be you got pushed out a window, right? And that's how they came <laughs> yeah. up with the phrase defenestration. So. Um.
2: Oh, yeah. I don't. I don't think Salamander or Putin is a pioneer in that regard. I mean, you got the Borges and
0: yeah, uh, all the way back to recorded history. I'm just saying, if Putin doesn't like you, you might want to live in a one-story building. <laughs> Even then, there was this amazing case in England. You know, I don't know, it was like 20 years ago or something, where an agent with a an umbrella shot a uh, radiated. Bullet. Oh, into was it the polonium yeah, that like yeah. disfigured a guy's yeah. face? Yeah, because yeah, it was a terrible way yeah. to die. So they they wanted to intimidate people by you know uh, having someone die in a really terrible way. Yeah, um, sure. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> Giles says there's one man who can help, Alexander Dinesh. and it turns out Giles and Astrid want the doctor to impersonate Salamander, and he's like, "Oh, I thought that's what you were going to say." <laughs> And we actually have a really interesting sequence here where I think they're trying to show the acting process because he says, oh, sure, I look like him, but what about his voice? And, you know, he just heard him for a few minutes. We, he's not listening to him now. but he, So we now get about a two-minute sequence where Troughton um, starts working on the voice of Salamander and sort of changing his accent and thinking about the words that he heard. And I, I thought that was really interesting and I know that's, you know, I, I again, I don't understand accents. I don't understand how anyone can change their accent. It's so amazing. I'm sure you must have had this experience, right, where you watch a show and then you watch them behind the scenes and you realize like the main character was like Australian or something. And they, they oh, sound yeah. completely different than they do in the show. Oh, <laughs> well that, uh, Daniel Plainview
2: was that uh, yeah. Daniel day Lewis. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he's he got like an Irish accent. Yeah. Um, or Roger Clark who does, uh, uh, Arthur Morgan in red dead redemption mm-hmm. too. Uh, he's got an Irish accent too, if I remember right. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Stuff like that is always kind of a
0: mind, Screw,
2: you yeah. <laughs> know. Yeah.
0: Well, and, you know, Scotty from the original Star Trek, uh, what was his name? Doon, James Doon. Yeah. That? He had real trouble getting work because people thought he had a Scottish accent. You know?
2: <laughs> oh, no kidding. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I assumed he did,
0: but. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Huh. And then, you know, in analyzing the voice the doctor says oh salamander must have come from mexico maybe the yucatan and giles says that's incredible he was born in the capital of yucatan so for being an alien he's <laughs> really done his studying of <laughs> you know earth action. Really, yeah
2: <laughs> yeah and apparently there is at at this point in his transfiguration or whatever it's called he's Remembering a lot of stuff from his past lives. Yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) That's true. We don't, well, there's a lot of stuff that would have had to happen off camera if he's gotten all this since he regenerated, but yeah. (laughs) So Giles then gets a phone call. And uh, he's told something, and he says to the doctor, how long do you need to master Salamander's accent? And the doctor's like, oh, three or four weeks. And Giles says, well, you have two minutes. <laughs> They're coming. The security chief, Donald Bruce, is coming now. And then the doctor figures out that Giles had actually called the security chief. He says, There's no way he's just going to randomly show up now. Um, <laughs> and Giles admits he'd gotten all excited and calls him up. Uh, and he says, unless you impersonate Salamander, Bruce is immediately going to arrest you for impersonating the leader just based on your looks. So if you don't impersonate him, you're going to get arrested for impersonating him, which is kind of funny. So Giles takes the doctor into a back room, and then Henry Kissinger, I mean, a dark-clad Donald Bruce, you know, comes into the room. And this is the other 60s thing, right? Everybody was obsessed with Kissinger, love him or hate him. So he was in Dr. Strangelove, of course. He was one of the you know main characters in that. And this guy... This guy's not in a wheelchair or anything, but, you know, he just, I don't know, the look of him just screams it to me. Um. <laughs>
2: he looks, I was trying to think who he reminded me of. I i think he reminds me a little bit of the big Lebowski. Uh not <laughs> not, the, not the little Lebowski, yeah. you know, not Jeff Bridges, but the older guy who yeah. was the rich, supposedly the rich one. In the, yeah, he's definitely got a distinctive look, uh,
0: whoever he looks like. <laughs> <laughs> So Bruce points out that someone was shot in Astrid's living room, so they've been investigating. He wants to know where the other man who was there in Astrid's house is. And a guard kicks open the back door, and the doctor slash Salamander comes out now, dressed in a turtleneck, just like Donald Bruce. They both have you know black, all black. And it, mm-hmm. but the doctor is acting as Salamander, and he comes up to Donald Bruce and says, "Why, wow, old Bruce, what are you doing here, huh?" <laughs> and <it's, laughs> in a in a more you know, Spanish accent, and it's the end of the episode.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It may just be that I wanted to be accurate with this, or it may be uh, that I really liked the episode, but uh, I actually did my notes for this one just by hand watching the show rather than uh, taking a script from Chrissy's transcripts and editing it down and
1: reading (laughs) the the notes from that. Oh,
0: that's impressive. Well, I guess I can spill my hand a bit, even though, you know, I have seen this before. Uh, I watched all three of our first half here in one day, like (laughs) several days ago, where usually (laughs) I, like, watch one each morning. Um, Yeah, so, uh, I mean, I guess what I'd say, well, let me ask you because you're new to it. I mean, you know, in the first episode here, what – what's your thought about the start of this cuz it I, I mean just say it's very different i mean we just haven't seen a Doctor Who story like this you know helicopters and all the you know politics and world stuff and it's, it's you know it's different yeah it's um
2: you know it takes its time and getting to the uh setup we've gotten to the end of episode 1 and and basically just now we're getting to the first uh, you know conflict i mean we had the little shootouts and the helicopter explosion which which was fun you know it was all good but uh yeah it was it was also yeah there was some filler elements <laughs> but uh but uh yeah it it was a promising start And this episode i think uh gets even more interesting uh, and uh yeah so far uh i won't i won't spoil anything but uh these first three episodes, uh, you know, we're going to go back and watch the next three episodes for, and then splice the two recordings together. You will eventually. <laughs> uh, but uh, the first three episodes, I'll just give my worth-watching verdict right now. If the, if the whole story arc is as interesting as these first three, um, it's going to be one of the better ones. Uh, so, knock on wood. We'll see.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, let's do episode two. All right.
2: So the doctor comes out of his room and says, well, Bruce, what are you doing here? huh?" Then, yeah, I'm not, I can't do a very good accent. But, uh, you know, the doctor, he he reminds me, and I know Ricky Ricardo was Cuban, but yet his voice somehow reminds me of him. It's entertaining. I, I guess there are people nowadays who would say, oh, that's inappropriate or cultural appropriation or whatever. But, you know, it, it's, I I don't, I don't think that's, you know, like I've seen Adam Sandler do Bill Cosby before. And that was, yeah. it was, it was funny. He's, he's a funny guy and it was a funny skit. So, I mean, you know, you're going to.
0: Yeah, but I'm not sure yeah. introducing Bill Cosby as your example is going to make your case. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, this was way back in the day, but uh, yeah, it's.
1: Well, I, I mean, I know,
0: I'll, I, that was so disappointing to me because I had a huge amount of respect for many, not just his career, but some of his approach to life and, and everything. And I used to quote certain things that he said. And then nowadays, it's really hard for me to quote those things. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. yeah I, I haven't really looked in depth into the controversy. I know a uh, uh, the allegation is that he roofied uh, some yeah. different women, and uh, that's not a very commendable thing to do. No, um, so, uh,
0: I mean, but, he, so I remember uh, the quote that I would always use, which I will still stand behind, you know, even regardless of the sources, he said, Be better than you want to be. Woof, and uh, woof, woof, I'm woof. someone who can really use that because I don't want to be that good, <laughs> <So>. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: that's a, that's a pretty good one. Yeah. But anyway, uh personally I'm I'm enjoying uh Troughton doing this uh Mexican accent. It's uh <laughs> it's just it's just fun. You know, yeah. it's not a caricatured No, no. I don't think it's caricatured. I mean I've been to Mexico, I've been to the Yucatan actually just one time, or no, I've have i have been there twice actually, but it's you know, it's I've talked to actual live mexicans
0: <laughs> <laughs> some of your best friends yeah right?
1: no, I, I think
0: yeah he absolutely is not parodying it it's it's not a funny accent no. or anything like that yeah
2: no and in fact Salamander, as we see him he'll be reasonably sinister i think you know he he's um he's one of the better doctor who villains at least based on these first three episodes mm. so but anyway, Salamander, he's talking to his security chief, who's surprised to see him here when he's supposed to be in the Central European Zone. And Salamander, now, now you realize the doctor knows vi- virtually nothing about <laughs> Salamander at this point, so he's just taking a wild stab at it. And he's being very high-handed with Bruce. And this, this is probably the safe approach, because if... If this guy is powerful and if he's influential and if he's power hungry, as these people have been telling him, you know, there's a good chance that he uh, he doesn't treat people all that well sometimes. Mm. And it seems to seems to get him by. So Bruce is asking him, what the hell are you doing here, basically? And he says sometimes I like to deal with matters in my own way. <laughs> and he goes on to say that he'll give Bruce a more complete explanation when I return from the Central European Zone, which is kind of amusing because he's not in the Central right. European Zone. Right, that's where zone.
0: he's where he's allegedly. But uh, you know, right. or, or probably the real Salamander is probably there. But yes, <laughs> <laughs> so. Bruce
2: also addresses most of the others briefly. I don't think he talks to Victoria at all, but each of the others, even Jamie, gets a couple remarks. But, uh, Giles and Astrid and Jamie, I'll stand up to it all right. And the doctor, uh, he just, he just keeps being his uh, haughty, imperious self. And finally, uh, finally Bruce leaves. So Giles and Astrid are going to produce three travel warrants and visas. These will be for Astrid and for the two companions, Jamie and Victoria. And their contact in the Central European Zone, who can get them all this stuff, is Denish, who's the controller of the zone, the, the governor, the big honcho there. And meanwhile, while they're off in Central Europe... The uh the doctor and Giles Kent are going to go to check out the Kanawa Research Station, which is uh, uh which is Bruce's main uh, hang or not Bruce's main hangout, but also Salamander's main hangout. And then we switch to a scene at Kanawa. and Bruce talks to Benick. Benick is a thin guy, and he his mannerisms. They remind me of Tim Stamper in the original House of Cards back in the 90s. He's kind of, I wouldn't say exactly effeminate, but a little prissy or something. I don't know exactly how to put it, but his mannerisms remind me of Stamper somehow. And Stamper was a pretty tough bad guy, and Bennick may end up turning out that way too. We'll see. Bennick is in charge of the research station in Salamander's absence, Bruce and Bennick don't seem fond of each other. Bennick, uh, he doesn't really even try to conceal his disrespect and insolence. Bruce wonders if Bennick actually saw Salamander leave. He he saw him to his rocket or whatever vehicle it was, but but he wants to know: Did you actually see Salamander leave? And Benick, uh Bennick didn't stay. To uh, I think he <laughs> says I didn't wave a handkerchief at yeah. him or something like that. <laughs> yeah. But Bruce tells him, "I saw him less than 200 miles away. It was him, he says, but he wasn't quite his usual self. Mm-hmm. So he wants Bennick to try and contact Salamander. Bennick says he can't do that until the conference is over, but this conference is only going to be about three hours." So as soon as Bruce leaves, Bennick picks up the phone and he wants to be notified as soon as salamander's available. Then we switch scenes to a nice balcony or a porch. Uh, it's got some classical statuary on it. It's got some greenery. It's not your not your average porch. Pretty cozy looking, pretty high class. Uh, Salamander is there with Dennis, who is an older guy, and a guy who looks a lot like Mr. Mike, Michael O'Donohue from Saturday Night Live. <laughs> he looks a lot like Mr. Mike. And uh, Salamander is warning both of them about Dormant volcanoes that are going to reactivate soon, right here in Hungary. And Mr. Mike's actual name, or character's actual name, is Federin, uh, which I think is spelled like Fedora, except it ends in N. Hmm. And he seems to have a German accent, which suggests that his name may mean a female Fedora. But I don't know what, that, <laughs> <or> what relevance <laughs> that has, but I'm just throwing it out there. So... Salamander says a volcano is a strange thing, my friend. It's like a man in the hot sun, sleeping, still, lifeless. Then boom, he wakes full of energy. (laughs) Uh, uh, Troughton is obviously having, uh, having some fun with this, uh, with this villainous role here, I think. Mm -hmm. The intercom on the table beeps. There, it's a box about, uh, oh, I don't know. It's, Smaller in a bread box. (laughs) Smaller in a loaf of bread, but Mm -hmm. not a whole lot smaller. It beeps, and a very pretty young woman, Faria, comes in. And she's she's a black woman, uh, which is, uh, you know, something we don't always see in every episode of Doctor Who. um, (laughs) But boy, she's just a cutie, I think.
0: Well, and I'll Um, I'll say, um, I was really impressed with her acting, so I I looked her up. Uh, on Wikipedia and stuff. And, you know, she, some of those people had a whole long career and she did a lot to help black actors and black theater in England. So she like created a black theater and supported people and did all this. Huh. And, um, But she's just, you know, I've known, you know, I, I was on the board of a theater company and I, I've known a lot of actors and everything and and actors, they're really good people who are often, they don't really know anything that they're talking about, but some of them are very dumb some of them are very smart, you know, mm-hmm. but she's, and some know how to pretend they're smart, but they, you know, so so they look smart as a, when the role they're playing. Um, mm-hmm. anyway, she, the reason I was curious and looked her up is she just came off to me as like, oh, this is a really smart woman. Cause I just don't think you could pull these lines off and, you know, present herself as she does. Um, if she wasn't really yeah, on top of it. It's hard to
2: fake competence a lot of the time. Yeah. yeah. Huh, well, that's neat. That's good. But, yeah, she comes in um, uh, very—the camera really likes her, I'll say. (laughs) And uh, she enters to tell Salamander that uh, there's a communication coming in, which is probably uh, uh, that Bennick trying to get a hold of him. But he scolds her for interrupting and tells her to just wait. Dennis says he'll have his scientists look into this volcano stuff Salamander's talking about, and that that irritates him because— yeah, he wants Dennis to take his word for it. He's, he's been right about so many things, and yeah. But Dennis wants to do his due diligence. Yeah, there's a,
0: there's just this weird little theme that he seems to know a lot about disasters that are going to happen before any actual scientists do, right?
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That uh, that could be a little plot point there. <laughs> we'll see. So Salamander is going to see Denish to the front or Dennis to the front door. Uh meanwhile he tells Mr. Mike to stay cuz they have a great deal to talk about. He sees Dennis out, leaves Mr. Mike or Federin is, is the real mm-hmm. name uh, with uh with this girl Feria. And then we switch to a foggy park.
0: Um it's a <laughs> nice pretty park. You know, it's, it's just funny uh, to me because it's unusually for Doctor Who just the way it's set up it's so clearly the background is a projection you know, and the and the bench is right in front of it, and they use it a couple different times. It's just just kind of amusing to me because it's just not a you know not something you usually see in, in this show.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah,
2: and you know, I got to admit, I uh, I did not detect that it was a project- projection. As far as I knew, they were sitting on a bench in a park. Which uh, maybe I was. I mean, I watched this episode twice, so uh, well, the I must main have been challenge- just really. You know, Naive. I can't.
0: You're right, can't, but <laughs> especially if, if you're looking for certain things, the main challenge with these projection things is that they lose color, they lose you know saturation, so they're sort of washed out compared to everything else because oh, they're being so, projected. So um, the
2: fog that I saw may have actually just been washed out projection. It, you know,
0: and they may have thrown in some fog to kind of help with that, right? But it, it, I've been researching old special effects and everything, and it was very interesting because. One of the amazing things about 2001 was they use effectively rear projection. You would never know it. And it's in part because, first of all, they they use this 45-degree mirror thing. So you could put – there's a certain kind of mirror you can have there where um, you can project something onto it from 45 degrees, and it shows up in the camera. So if you were standing there, you wouldn't see it. Um, oh,
2: is that is that called – Pepper's Ghost. Well, there
0: is a Pepper's Ghost thing, which uh, it's not exactly this, but, you know, a similar thing where there's a mirror and you can okay. see something. You can. So it's the same concept. I don't think it's exactly the same technology. The reason it worked in 2001 and where they were doing this was with the apes um, and that whole scene, right? Which, if you look at that, you would swear that's outside, it's not a set, et cetera. Well, no, it's hmm. a big set where they went to Africa and took photographs, you know, of um, – of the background, and they projected it onto this mirror. But the reason it worked was because they lit it up so much. Uh, you know, they put huge amounts of light into it so that they wouldn't be losing, you know, anything. And the the electricity required was so intense uh, that if somebody opened a door and it changed the temperature, uh, all of the, the generators would shut down. You know, so that no, I couldn't. They had to keep oh, the area oh. very cold because you have these huge generators, you know, generating all this light. It's just kind of interesting. So that, oh, that, oh. that's a long digression. Maybe I'll put it at the end, but about uh, – <laughs> and, and, I mean, what, if you know to look for it, you'll just see it all the time in, in the Ray Harryhausen and other stuff where, where you know, the lighting just isn't quite right on the thing that's being projected, and it was very, very hard for them to to get past that, you know.
2: Huh, cool. Well, the park bench scene was convincing enough for me. (laughs) (laughs) So Victoria and Jamie are there, and they're meeting Astrid at this bench. Jamie goes off to start his mission. Uh, We don't get any details about it at this point. Astrid gives him some kind of pass that should get him in. Astrid has a long-range... Walkie-talkie, or more likely a satellite phone, a walkie-talkie doesn't reach all that far. And the, the operator, there there's there's actually an operator, which is another reason it's not a walkie-talkie. The operator says something about sunspot activity interfering. And I have a feeling this is also called out in just a moment. The sunspots are mentioned again. I have a feeling this could come back later. Maybe this is the mechanism by which salamander is causing disasters. Do you remember when we were kids,
0: and, you know, I'm sure it'll come again, but I think what I say, I seem to recall sunspots have something like an 11-year rotation in the sun, but when we were kids, it was a big deal because there were, like, sunspot storms or something that would cause interference with electronics. I think we still get
2: that sometimes, that, that usually we don't notice much about it. But I think we still get that, and I think there are even theories that, you know, there's going to be some, sooner or later, some black swan event that's really mm-hmm. going to screw everything up all to hell, uh, which uh, seems seems likely. <laughs> maybe not during our lifetimes, but maybe during our lifetimes. Yeah. The way things are going, it wouldn't terribly surprise me. So by
0: watching <laughs> these old movies and TV shows, we'll be prepared. So.
2: <laughs> yeah. At least when it comes, we'll say, ah, must be those sunspots. (laughs) (laughs) So she reaches Giles Kent, and these sunspots continue throughout the call. And uh, it seems to me that there's this kind of electronic tootling in the background, sort of these atonal notes that I think are meant to represent the interference of the sunspots rather than just putting static in there, which would probably be more like reality, I would guess. She reaches Kent, and the he, Kent has the doctor pick up a phone handset, so which lets him listen in, which is a little bit unfortunate because Astrid doesn't say anything too bad, but at one point she does say, my goodness, they're a pretty odd lot, though, aren't they? <laughs> they're referring to the doctor and the companions, and that's when Kent points out the doctor is listening in. So she, she hastily adds that she's she's sure they'll be fine. <laughs> and uh, I I think uh I think it's around here where Kent also asks yeah you know, about the quality of the call, and she says it's the sunspots. So again, yeah, they're trying to, I think. They're trying to make this stick in our memory Mm -hmm. for later. Uh, It could be wrong. It it could be a red herring, but uh, I don't know. I got a feeling about it, you know. So she tells Kent she's arranged to meet with Dennis on a disused jetty by the river, and this— this is a, a line that amused me because the doctor suddenly looks alarmed and he says, disused Yeti? <laughs> He's recently had some bad experiences with Yeti. <laughs>
0: and I, in this case, I doubt that it was him inserting the line because they did a shot of him and then a shot of the reaction. So I assume it was actually maybe in the script, but it's the kind of line they would, you know, sometimes sneak
2: in, right? Yeah. So. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah the, the little hijinks he yeah. and Jamie get up to, yeah. <laughs> and the doctor says, "Good luck, Astrid. Jamie and Victoria will look after you. and I, I think he I think he's trying to maybe needle her a little bit for what she said about they're an odd lot, you know, yeah. but uh, but but Giles thinks that she she took offense to it because she she hangs up pretty rapidly after that. Beck on the balcony in Hungary. Mr. Mike is drinking copiously. There's a there's a carafe of wine there, and he's pouring himself one drink after another. Yeah. And he talks with this young woman, Faria. Yeah, I can't blame him. I'd be drinking copiously in that situation, too. He talks with Faria. Uh, she reveals, or at least sort of alludes to the fact that she doesn't actually like salamander, and she even uh, calls him Brewhole, which isn't explained to us yet, but it will be. <laughs> She's evasive about what she does here until Mr. Mike takes another drink. Then she reveals that she's Salamander's food taster. (laughs) She says it's very nice to have help for a change. (laughs) (laughs) Federin very nearly does a spit take. He doesn't quite do it, but uh, you can tell he
0: he almost was tempted. In terms of, you know, foreshadowing, he does so much drinking. He's just constantly drinking, and he's just heard about how there's a food taster and all this. So you kind of go, huh, I wonder what's going to happen to him.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it seems like the writing's kind of on the wall for him. So, Salamander returns. Mr. Mike tells him that he's well protected, you know, because he's just met a food taster, which is not something everybody has. Salamander snaps his fingers to demonstrate just how well he's protected, and a guard immediately appears from around (laughs) the corner of the balcony. And, And Mr. Mike is surprised by this, but then he's even more surprised. He gets a shocked look on his face and points behind Salamander, you know, very... Very dramatic, you know, horror movie type stuff. And Jamie is standing on the balcony railing. He does kind of a swashbuckling jump down onto the porch. (laughs) He grabs the guard's gun and knocks him down. And then he grabs the intercom box, warns everybody to duck, and he throws it off the balcony. We get a quick shot of Astrid, who's watching all this, and she triggers a detonator, and the intercom blows up harmlessly.
0: Well, well I think technically, clear to me. no, the intercom didn't blow sure. up. It's just there was an explosion after Jamie threw the intercom, right? So, oh
2: yeah, okay. I was just right. going to say it's not clear to me how he got the explosives in the intercom, but right. but they just did the old switcheroo. You yeah, know, he, he yeah. threw the detonator, and everybody assumes that that was what blew up. Yeah, uh-huh. all right, makes sense. Then she'd have to retrieve it, though, before the guards could get <laughs> it. But, yeah, I'm sure she's she's resourceful. She's there on the property, so, yeah, it works. Anyway, two more guards appear out of the building, uh, come out onto the balcony, and Salamander chews them out for allowing an attempt on his life. Uh, he says, it's not so good, boys. It's not so good. <laughs> this is one of those Ricky Ricardo moments. <laughs> but, uh Yeah, I I like it. He's really... uh, He's having a lot of fun with this role, I get Mm -hmm. the impression. Salamander interrogates Jamie. He explains he came in this way because he wouldn't have been welcomed otherwise. He might even have been shot if he tried to go go in through the proper channels. Mm -hmm. But he had to do it because Salamander is the world's best hope. (laughs) He doesn't use those exact words, but that's the gist of it. So Salamander offers him a security position and, uh, Jamie has mentioned that he, he's in, he's here in Hungary on vacation with his girlfriend. So, so he says, Jamie can have a position in the security corps, and he'll come up with something for Jamie's girlfriend and get him a proper uniform instead of this skirt. (laughs) (laughs) And Jamie, uh, bit his tongue at that because, uh, you know, it's, it's not good form to insult a Scotsman's kilt, Mm. but, uh, he he took the path of wisdom and uh yeah kept quiet. Salamander says I prize loyalty very highly, my friend, and I repay it very generously. Federin asks Salamander what Brujo means. Salamander says it means sorcerer, and he uh, asks Federin why he asks and Federin says Oh it's nothing, you know, tries yeah. to just brush it off and Salamander drops it. So Jamie returns to the park bench where Victoria and Astrid are waiting. Astrid suddenly gets up and leaves because a guard and Faria are coming. The guard gives Jamie a hard time asking who Astrid was and why he came out here. Faria says that Salamander ordered it. So, Salamander, or so Jamie already has his position in the security guards. For he is going to find Victoria something to do in the kitchen. <laughs> I think Jamie says that she's a excellent dishwasher. <laughs> <laughs> so now we see uh, Astrid is under the jetty. It's a very nice, peaceful scene. Now, now that I think about it, it's probably another one of those projection deals. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if it is, I didn't notice it at the time. But she's under the jetty, and soon Dennish comes crawling through the posts of the, of the pier uh, to meet her. And Dennish reveals this was the first time he's ever met Salamander, even though he's the controller of Central Europe. Mm-hmm. But he says, Astrid was right. He must be stopped. He's, he's got a bad first impression of this guy. But then a guard walks onto the jetty, so they have to shut up. And then another guard comes and tells him to return to patrol, uh, which is Astrid was thinking of uh, shooting him, but in whispered tones, Denish warned her that would be a bad idea. So the guards walk off. Astrid asks Denish whether Federin would betray him. Denish can't think of any reason why he would. You know, and this is one of those timing things where we immediately find out why he would (laughs) because we switch back to the balcony and salamander is showing fedor in a a binder which is a collection of blackmail it seems that it's actually fabricated blackmail it's not evidence of things that actually happened it's just lies and Mr. Mike protests that it's all lies, but Sal says it's just an insurance. <laughs> he says that Mr. Mike will be the new zone controller. Denish isn't going to have that role anymore. A disaster is coming that can't be stopped, but Salamander can help clean up afterwards. <laughs> so he offers Fetter in a partnership, 50-50. Denish, he says, is going to die mysteriously by an assassin's hand, in which... uh. Yeah, sounds a little bit shady to me. And my
0: impression <laughs> here is that Fedorin at least reacts as as if it, the implication is he's going to assassinate Dinesh, right? He's supposed to, mm-hmm. and actually, what well, that turns out to be true, so or he tries anyway. So, yeah, I think that's the deal: is sort of the the fake blackmail will be used against him if he doesn't uh, assassinate him. So he both gets to get away and become the new zone controller. So, yeah. So, and
2: Fedorin seems genuinely troubled about this. He seems like a guy whose natural inclination is to be ethical and loyal and so forth. He seems very disturbed about all this. But then there's a loud rumbling, and Salamander says, my predictions are accurate. (laughs) Uh, We get some volcano stock footage, you know, erupting volcanoes, and Salamander says, the history of Hungary is about to be rewritten. (laughs) So then Bruce arrives, the security... Director, he's investigating the attempt on Salamander's life. Now, we just saw him not too long ago talking to Bennick in Australia, so he must have taken a rocket, I guess, Mm -hmm. to get out here. And then Dennis returns and accuses Salamander of causing the eruption. Salamander counters that Dennis was warned and did nothing, so he's a traitor. Mm -hmm. He's, He's at the very very least he's a lazy administrator who didn't warn his people he orders bruce to arrest dennish and he says at your trial Federin will be the chief witness against you Federin doesn't say anything in response to this but he he looks awfully ashamed and that is the uh,
0: fairly sad uh cliffhanger of this episode <laughs> yeah they don't Really do cliffhangers in this particular story, so it's kind of interesting,
1: you know?
2: yeah, yeah, when I said sad, I didn't mean to say it was a lousy Andy. cliffhanger. I mean, it's not really a cliffhanger, no. but it does make you does leave you curious about what's coming, so in that regard, it's a fair cliffhanger, I think in in its own right, yeah, um, but it's sad because Federan seems really abashed about the whole thing he's He's not proud of himself at this point.
0: Right, right, and that's the end of the episode. so episode three, and I'll say up front, interesting thing here um this was the only episode that was available for forty years or uh, i don't I don't know if it was available for the whole forty years, but it's the episode people knew of this story, and they based their opinion of this story on this episode, and honestly, the opinion was rather. Negative, and I have to say, watching in the context of all of them, I don't get it. I, I think this is a, a perfectly good episode, as we'll see. But, but uh, yeah, you know, I'll talk about when we get there some of the things people didn't like, but uh, I don't know. If, uh, well, no, we're talking about the yeah. other side before we I go mean, uh, I mean,
2: I mean, I only watched this episode once, but uh, I thought it was perfectly interesting, one of the more interesting Doctor Who episodes, so uh. <laughs> Yeah, I, I well, have no a,
0: complaints. And then I think present uh, the general complaint, just seeing this episode and, and only the recordings of the, the others, the audio was they spend a lot of the time in the kitchen and stuff, and people are just like, "What is this? Mm. You know, there's, what's the story yeah. here?" You know, so. But if you if you're seeing the whole story, that it doesn't feel like that. I mean, the kitchen is mm-hmm. a part of it, but there's all sorts of other stuff going on. And I think the kitchen stuff's fairly fine, but we'll get there. Uh, yeah. So, so uh, Dinesh is being arrested. And Salamander says he holds Bruce responsible for the attempt on his life. So, you know, Bruce is the security guy. He should have kept that from happening. After Salamander and Federer leave, Bruce tells Dinesh he'll do what he can, can for him. So this is the interesting thing. If it's true, and, you know, I am I am perceiving, but I haven't actually read, that Donald Bruce is supposed to, to be Henry Kissinger just because of the way he looks and acts and, and things that were going on in the 60s. Hmm. But where people who usually were portraying Kessender were portraying him very negatively. In this story, Donald Bruce actually is an honorable person. I mean, he's the head of security. He's probably got some slime on his hands, but he believes in, you know, doing the right thing and rank and all that. So he, when he tells Dinesh he's going to do what he can for him, he's telling them the truth. You know, he believes that Dinesh, as a high-ranking official, deserves Mm -hmm. to be treated appropriately.
2: Yeah, that's... uh... That's an interesting point because I I suppose because Bruce is such a pushy character and he's working for Salamander, who pretty obviously treats him like dirt, I just assumed that he had some evil element to him. But it's possible that he turns out to be a more honorable guy. So, uh, yeah, that, that could be. This is sort of a new angle for me to consider
0: that I didn't really do while I was watching these episodes. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, All and,
2: right. oh.
0: and Dinesh responds to Bruce by saying that he looks forward to facing Salamander in open court. That's <laughs> like, ah, definitely going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Salamander, now in uh, another scene, reassures Fedoran that he's not actually going to do anything with this blackmail material. It's just insurance. We'll just put it in this safe here. You're really never going to need to worry about it. <laughs> 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 and, you know, He's actually being really nice to Fedorin, as he says, because he's suppressing the facts for him. So, <laughs> it's just <laughs> the best kind of friend you could have. Yeah. Hello, Fedorin. Uh
2: I don't remember if he does it in this episode, but I think he's still maintaining that this is all fabrications <laughs> to start with. I mean, they're they're not actual facts. <laughs>
0: but who knows? Yeah, sounds like something a wimpy <laughs> trader would say. Um, yeah. So Salamander hands Federer a little box, which Federer realizes contains poison, and he's supposed to take care of Dinesh. And Dinesh is being held in a hallway. (laughs) I guess, you know, I don't know much about the whole Jeffrey Epstein thing, but it's sort of like that where – and it's even called out here because this is another case where I think that Bruce is being – sincere because he comes in and says why are you holding this guy in a hallway and why are you treating him like this he's a high-level official and they're like well the hallway is the most secure location it's like yeah the hallway is like the least secure location so you know (laughs) people are coming and going (laughs) and, and you know and uh bruce asked you know dinesh for any you know to say anything he wants and dinesh asked for some food and for a book about foreign travels to distract him in the kitchen. And then, so now we spend a lot of time in the kitchen in this episode, and in the kitchen, salamander's food taster has brought Victoria to the chef to be given a job, and the chef is a is a character in here, and you know he's just trying to get through his day and do his job. he's scary he he's he's
2: a pretty entertaining character, i thought i mean he's just he's just a constant pessimist like you know, he he's complaining about the quality of the food that he's making. Oh, I think I forgot the salt, you know, <laughs> and so on. Um and it turns out he made something absolutely delicious. Um but he he's just one of those guys who goes around with a cloud over his head constantly. Nothing nothing that good that happens can be viewed in a positive light. He always has to find the the murky
0: lining to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he's skeptical that Victoria can do anything for him. And he quizzes her immediately to tell him a recipe. And she clearly has no idea that she goes, oh, you know, we used to have this lovely pudding at home. And and he's like, well, what was it? And he's like, well, it had this stuff and some nuts in it. And it was called a Kaiser pudding. And this – now, here's an interesting thing. So he has this kind of almost spit take to her saying Kaiser pudding. And I quiz chat GPT about this, like what's a Kaiser pudding? Why would this be – you know, a humorous line, et cetera. And it really couldn't come up with anything. I mean, I was sort of guessing that maybe mm. because we're, you know, a couple decades outside of World War II and Kaiser is a German reference, I, d- I don't know. But anyway. Well, it could
2: be World War I reference. So we're several decades out of that.
0: Yeah. Um, so I think there probably was something cultural about what she was saying, but I, I don't know what it was, you know, that made it kind of a dumb thing to say. You know? Yeah. And so he realizes she's not going to be helpful. So he tells her to peel potatoes. And then he asked her to write out the menus, which was interesting and thought about because, you know, especially, I mean, at this time, theoretically, and in this time, they, they would have uh, uh, copy machines. But, you know, back in the day, Napoleon, et cetera, I guess somebody had to actually physically write out all the menus that would be on each each person's uh, seat. Um, oh, sure. Or, like, you know, like on a cruise ship, they'll mm-hmm. still, uh, yeah, give
2: you a nice formal menu nice. with your fancy dinner and so on. And, uh, uh, and the, once he says right out the menus, um, maybe you're going to get to this, but, uh, the chef himself dictates it to her and it's all sarcastic, dismal stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but,
0: uh, I forgot what he said there, but I was just thinking, uh, just reminded me talking about this that, We know a lot about what uh, was served on, like, a particular day on the Titanic because a number of people who were rescued had the menus in their pocket for that day. (laughs) (laughs) And it's really interesting. contrast, there's a guy named Max Miller who does this really interesting historical cooking uh, thing on YouTube, and he's obsessed with the Titanic, and so he's done – shows on the difference between what they served in each class, you know, on the same day. Um, ah. so that's sort of interesting. Oh yeah. Um, so then the chef leaves the room and the food taster warns Victoria to leave and not get caught up in Salamander's world. So, you know, she seems like a very loyal person. I mean she's a food taster, but here she's kind of revealing that like, look, just don't don't get involved in this, right? <laughs> you know. Yeah. She's she's here under duress yeah. somehow. Now Jamie shows up, and he's wearing a really nice military uniform. It was really well-designed, uh, you know, various forms of leather and other stuff, but it looked good. And he tells Victoria that Astrid has gotten in to get a message to Dinesh. And Jamie now realizes that Salamander wants to remove Dinesh and put a weaker man, Federan, in his place. So, you know, uh, actually Jamie here is sort of taking the, um, uh, what's his name, Polly and... uh uh, ben. Remember Ben was always skeptical about authority and this kind of stuff so so mm. maybe he's sort of having that same kind of realization. Yeah. And they speculate about whether Salamander could possibly have something to do with these earthquakes that are happening but that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and we now see shots of a volcano erupting on a TV screen and it turns out that Giles and the doctor are watching this on a tiny television in a like a little shack or a you know, trailer or something. And Giles believes this salamander has something to do with this, and it's coming from his research station. And Giles says one reason he believed this is that the costs for the station made no sense. And when he had a high-up position in government, he could see what was being spent on this research station. It was just way, way out of whack. All right.
2: And that's probably a big factor in why he's no longer in that high-up position.
0: Yeah, and then we hear sirens outside, and the doctor hides in a couch. It's I guess it's sort of one of those things where you can lift up the top of the couch, and it's sort of a, you know, container inside. Fold-out bed type yeah. thing. And uh, it's Benick uh, that we saw before uh, shows up, and he confronts Giles, and he wants Giles to leave, and Giles refuses to leave. <laughs> I find this really funny. So to get him to leave, Bennett calls in a guard— who smashes all the dishes in the cupboard, thereby making it impossible for a proper British person to stay here? You know, how would one have tea? <laughs> I just they I <laughs> <may laughs> don't say that, but it's yeah. implication because he's like, "Well, you can't stay here now. We just smashed all your dishes." <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, and and it it's probably worth mentioning too that where they are, they didn't actually go into the research station. They're in like a little trailer or right. something right outside the research station's property, and when. When Bennick first enters, they have that little discussion about how, oh no, I'm right outside the boundary line, so mm-hmm. you can't touch me, you know
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, and he's like, "Wow, no one will believe you, you know <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> no one will believe we came in and smashed all your, <laughs> your <tubs. laughs> all your pottery,." Yeah. <laughs> And it reminded me of the Ark, if you remember, with the monoids, and they went down, and there were the invisible people on that planet, and the monoid threatens them by holding up a vase. He's like, "I'm going to smash your vase." <laughs> <It was> just... <laughs> oh, no, that's right. That was yeah. that uh, fancy living room. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In, in the Boy, Doctor Who universe, uh, it turns out that that vases and and dishes are very very valuable. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, that's
2: the trump card. <laughs> Smash somebody's crockery and uh, uh, you've
0: basically won. Yep. <laughs> and uh, speaking of which they actually use that language because Benick says, no one will believe you if you complain about your crockery being destroyed.
1: Actually, <laughs> it's probably,
2: probably true because
0: it's so silly. <laughs> 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 Maybe not for the reasons <laughs> <laughs> so when Bennick leaves, the doctor comes out, and and now he does this weird thing because right normally he's all intuitive, and normally five seconds after the Tardis has landed, he knows who's good and who's bad, and he's heard all this stuff and he's seen all this, and he's like, I don't know which side is the good one. I don't know which side to support. <laughs> <laughs> yes,
2: yeah, I don't know. I, I I think he's maybe being a little. Either he's he's being disingenuous here, or. Or he's being uncharacteristically inattentive, I think. But
0: yeah, I don't know. Meanwhile, Astrid is in Salamander's building and a very young guard, this guy looks like he's 15 or something, challenges her, but she has a pass. And then he basically asks her for a date. And uh she agrees to <laughs> it. It's this is a very funny little bit there. And uh one of Salamander's guards now comes along and challenges her and makes her show him the message she has and she is resistant, but you know, this is the hallway where Dinesh is, and he suddenly drops one of his books and distracts the guard and Astrid slips away.
2: And he does that deliberately, it's implied. Yeah. You know, yeah.
0: He he plays it off as oopsie, but yeah. <laughs> you know. So Astrid arrives in the kitchen where Victoria and Jamie are, and she's here to rescue Dinesh. She wants Jamie to cause a diversion at eleven o'clock precisely. And the chef comes back and he wants to know why the kitchen is now a travel agency. Cause you know, Jamie's <laughs> not supposed to be here. Astrid's not supposed to be here. Um, and he now has a monologue about how the food tonight is terrible and he's going to be sacked and maybe he'll be shot. And when he says he, maybe he'll be shot, he gets this like hopeful look in his eyes. You know, But then he's like, Oh, they probably won't do it.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. I, I thought this guy was pretty good comic relief. I mean, uh, You know, I I guess different people might not find it as amusing, but I I get a kick out
0: of it. Yeah. (laughs) And the food taster now comes in to get food for Dinesh, and Jamie says she doesn't have to work for Salamander. And she now goes off on Jamie and Victoria saying, you know, sometimes we do what we have to do, not what we want to do. So, I mean, she's kind of the adult in the room. Like, you don't know what I have to deal with or what my decision is about, you know, so. Yeah. Meanwhile, Donald Bruce is confronting Salamander about Dinesh. And this is again, where I feel like he's being a good guy because he's like, why is he being treated like this? He should be treated according to his rank. And then we see Victoria taking a tray of food out to Dinesh, and she literally runs into Fedorin. She has this cart and kind of runs into him. And uh, Fedorin asks to look at the food on the tray, and while he's looking, he steals the salt. And then he tells Victoria that she forgot the salt. And when she goes off to get the salt, he starts doing something to the food. Then we see kind of the main guard. I haven't described her who he is. He's a guy who shows up regularly. He seems to be sort of in charge of the guards. And he's telling Salamander that he saw Astrid talking to two young people on a bench in the park. Um, so uh, they, they've been, you know, made. And Salamander says to let Astrid escape and follow her. And Salamander will deal with Victoria and Jamie. Victoria brings the tray to Dinesh, which, you know, we're now pretty sure is poison food on it. And the main guard asks if the tray has been checked. And uh, and he's actually not talking about checking the food. He's talking about checking for weapons, which is actually totally reasonable. So he takes the steak knife because you don't give a prisoner a knife. And I I will say, you know, having watched a gazillion crime and court things and everything on YouTube – I, I have watched multiple cases where you can see on video someone being interrogated steal a pen off the table and then either attack the cop with it or attempt to commit suicide with it. So uh literally anything you you know that is in reach of a prisoner may may be used as a weapon against themselves yeah. or, or someone else.
2: You know, um I think in one of the Hannibal Lecter movies, he used a stolen pen to get himself free
0: of his handcuffs, <laughs> if I There's right. a great line in uh, the first John Wick film where, you know, he killed four guys in a bar with a pencil, a fucking pencil. <laughs> 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 so we now see Fedrin pleading with Salamander on his balcony. And it turns out he didn't poison Dinesh. He chickened out, uh, which is, you know. Very disappointing for his career advancement. He was all set to get promoted here. And (laughs) Salamander says he gave Federer the chance to become something. But don't worry. It's no problem that you failed. It happens to all of us. In fact, sit down and have a drink. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and uh, it was pretty clear what was going to happen. Well, and the poetic license is Salamander takes the same poison that he had given Federer in the same box, And puts it in the drink. So he poisons him with what he was supposed (laughs) to poison Dinesh with. After Federin drinks it and falls over, Salamander said, one chance, my friend. I said, one (laughs) chance. And as as Salamander's heading out, uh, the head guard comes in and Salamander's like, oh, Federin over there, he just committed suicide. You need to clean that up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, it, it happens around salamander.
1: <laughs> That's true. He is the
0: guy that people fall downstairs stairs and drown. And <laughs> <all that stuff. laughs> Jamie's in the kitchen. He's telling the chef that there's someone armed out in the trees. And he tells the chef to send guards to help him out. And after Jamie leaves, <laughs> the chef hears shots and hides under a table. He doesn't bother to get any guards. <laughs> uh, I guess he does value his life after all. Uh, Astrid shows up in the hallway with the and she knocks out a guard, but other guards show up and capture them. And then we see, you know, we have all these back and forth. So then we see Salamander interrogating Jamie and Victoria. And he realizes that Jamie only pretended to save his life. And he said, uh, he says actually something like, oh, that was a brilliant, you know, plan. He, he kind of respects it. <laughs> and he berates Bruce for all the bad things that have happened recently And Bruce now complains, well, you know, after that meeting, after I met with you in Giles' office, and Salamander's like, what are you talking about? We never met in Giles' office. I haven't talked to Giles in years, you know, or months. Um, And Bruce says, well, it was you or it was someone very like you. (laughs) And Salamander looks concerned, and it's the end of the episode. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so we're only halfway through the story, and already
2: Salamander has found out that he's got an impersonator, so. Yeah. Yeah. It'll so. be interesting to see what happens next. And for me to say, unironically, that it'll be interesting to see <laughs> what happens next uh, for Doctor Who, I mean, uh, this uh, this actually has my my interest. Um not so much that I've rushed ahead and watched the next three episodes yet, but, uh, you know, I think, uh, uh, I don't know, so far I feel good about it. And, uh, I don't know, you had mentioned that this and the next, the, which are both recovered story arcs, are generally people think one of them's good <laughs> and one of them's not so good. So, so far this one I'm liking a lot, so this could end up being the good one, but, <laughs> you know, the uh, we're only halfway through at this point, so there's many well, a slip twixt the cup true. and the lip. So I we'll will see. tip
0: my hand and say, my favorite part of this is to come, and it's a twist I don't think you can ever predict, so... Really right. so I will I will entice you with that. We'll see if it if it and, works for you as much as it did for me.
2: <laughs> all right, so it it's actually a legit twist, yeah. not something they just pulled out of there. No, whatever. no, yeah. Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, knock on wood. Here's uh here's hoping.
0: Okay. <laughs> One week later. So, episode four. Now, the Guy, I had told you earlier that there could be a twist in here. And it's kind of subtle, so we'll see if you if you picked up on it.
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, okay.
0: Yeah. Uh, so, the doctor is assuring Giles that he should have patience. And Giles feels that Astrid should have been in contact by now. And then we see Astrid enter a room, and Giles sees her on a tiny TV and tells her to switch to Scramble. <laughs> which... Screws up Benick. Um By the way, I looked him up in the meantime because bennick he's, you know, I, I really like him as a bad guy and I swear I've seen him before. Oh, yeah. It turns out he's in some future Doctor Who and he and he basically played a bad guy in all sorts of British stuff, but I probably saw him yeah. in the future Doctor Who. He's just this, you know, the classic really good slimy guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he is. Uh, he, he's very good in this. I, I wouldn't mind seeing him in other things. And, uh, but it screws him up because when they switch to scramble, he can no longer, you know, intercept their communications. So he wants yeah. Astrid's location tracked. And Astrid now lets Giles know that Denish is dead. And the food taster enters Astrid's room and they have a fight, you know, a kind of cat fight, I guess. <laughs> and uh, uh. Astrid gets the better of her. And the food taster says, you think Salamander sent me here? No, it was my own idea. I hate Salamander even more than you do. I want to see his face when he dies. So, mm-hmm. very dramatic. Meanwhile, a soldier reports to Medic that the food tester followed Astrid into a building and Bennett connects the dots. So, she was not a very good, uh, you know. Um, not very sneaky. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, Giles, the food taster, and the doctor debate what to do, and the food taster says that Salamander blackmailed her into being his personal servant, and the doctor wants to know why she hasn't revealed Salamander, and she says she didn't have the proof, and this bothers the doctor, because no one ever seems to have the proof, you know, he just is like, "Ah, I just can't figure out if this is a bad guy, (laughs) come on. (laughs) And she and the food taster says, I have what you want. It's about Federan. You know, Salamander created all the swindles, and the food taster can prove it, and she gives her files to the doctor. And the doctor gives everything to Giles, but he's still not sure about Salamander, even with <laughs> the folders she's given him. And he says it's a one-way deal where he helps Giles defeat Salamander, but what's Giles doing for him? And he points out, you know, what you really want me to do is to kill him, isn't it? And Giles says, What else do you do when someone is evil? <laughs> and the doctor says, Try a bit of justice, eh? <laughs> so, but Giles kind of does blackmail me. He's like, Either you get rid of Salamander or we won't be able to help your friends. And then looking out the window, Benick's people are everywhere. <laughs> it's funny, we get these different shots, and one of them is a woman. With an uh, empty baby carriage. I mean, we can tell it's empty, but maybe you couldn't on a tenant screen or whatever, <laughs> uh, uh. pushing it through some of the security people. And anyway, we see different shots of, of Binnick's people outside. And then Binnick orders them to shoot on site. And inside, Giles tells everyone to leave through the conveniently human-sized ventilator shaft. <laughs> oh, jeez, to- <laughs> Yeah, this— this
2: annoyed me a little bit because it looks like it could be a dumbwaiter shaft or maybe, you know, maybe a big incinerator shaft, but a, a, a ventilation duct. I mean, have you ever been in any room that had a ventilation
0: duct like that? I don't think right, I It's have. like five feet off the floor and it's, <laughs> and it's human sized. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, right where a dumb ro- dumbwaiter would <laughs> yeah. be. So Astrid stays behind to distract everyone, and she shoots at the door, but we see someone coming through the window. She never expected that. (laughs) Meanwhile, (laughs) Benick and company smash through the door, and Astrid is gone. Apparently, she's gone through the air conditioning, (laughs) but now as we find (laughs) out. She's just sitting underneath the desk like nobody. You know, they have five people who invaded this room, and nobody walked around the desk. to sit <laughs> the desk. Yeah,
2: yeah. You'd think uh, well-trained security people would try to
0: secure the area, you know, and uh, sort of
1: they call check it things QB out.
0: or QT or something. You know, the the pro- the the process of clearing. A building, right, where you know that each Mm. room is empty. But, yeah, they don't even clear the desk. (laughs) (laughs) Outside, the food taster runs through an alley carrying the documents, and she gets shot. And the soldier who grabs her as she falls says to the one who shot her, What do you think you're doing? And he says, Well, but we had orders to shoot on sight. Well, do you always obey orders? (laughs) I mean, I don't even understand it because, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I guess it's good the soldier's trying to be good, but, yeah, that was their (laughs) orders.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, a security guard who doesn't obey orders uh, is a lot like a military person who doesn't obey orders, you know. It's
0: kind of the opposite of the job. (laughs) And Bennett comes along in the alley and he asks her, it was the other man with the group, meaning the doctor. And she says as she dies, you'll know soon enough. <laughs> and Bennick says, I want to know now. And she says, you cannot trick me, Bennick. I can only die once. And then she <laughs> dies. <laughs> and he picks up veteran's file and says, thank you. And it, it's just, I mean, again, not all actors could pull this off. But just the incredibly slimy way he picks up this file from a person he just had killed, you know, and says, thank you is, uh,
1: yeah. <laughs> it's oh yeah. Yeah.
0: He's, uh, he's, he's been, uh, uh,
2: convincingly sliming, slimy, uh, from, from the beginning. So, uh, it's good that he's staying true to form.
0: <laughs> and, uh, so now we see Bennick reporting to Salamander and t- saying what happened. And Salamander says, what you mean is you failed. <laughs> and Bennick says, I always said something should be done about Kent. Bruce David is also in the room and he's upset that Bennett exceeded his authority. So again, even though he's kind of that uh, Kissinger guy, he actually seems to be, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of a good guy. And I I hadn't been clear on this, but
2: Bruce is actually, he's not part of Salamander's security or the facility's security. He's with like the world government or whatever, (laughs) you know, some other organization that's. That'll play into a little bit later on, but it's good to know anyway. Hmm. And
0: now Salamander wants this man who impersonated him found. And Bennett hands the food tasters documents to Salamander and he's impressed by this. And then Bruce David and Bennett leave and Salamander goes to a communicator and says he's not to be disturbed for as long as I say so. (laughs) And then he presses some switches. And doors all around come down and are locked. And then another door opens and a human-sized capsule comes out of the wall. And Salamander gets in and the capsule goes back into the wall. And then it turns down and the door closes and the capsule falls a long way with Salamander inside. So,
2: (laughs) Yeah, and this is, you know, I'm not sure. They never quite made it clear, at least to me. But it might be going on a horizontal track the whole way, like it may be not that far down underground. And if it wasn't plummeting down, it it would explain something we find out later on that otherwise makes very little sense. Uh, But I'll get to that when we get to it. I think it's Um, supposed to
0: be going down, but okay.
2: (laughs) Yeah, well, that's what I thought, too. I mean, the way they filmed it, it definitely... But what happens is when he gets in it, you'll see you know he he actually has to climb up on top of this unwieldy apparatus and get in it and lie in it like a coffin, so if it's going down, it would actually have to go over sort of a curve like a roller coaster you know <laughs> to go to go down um so I don't know I mean it's just it's just a poorly designed. <laughs> interface, regardless, because the way he gets into it in the first place is, if it's going down, that makes no sense. Why not just have it vertically oriented when he gets into it? Uh, but it does. when When they show him traveling, it does look like he's going down. So
0: right. I don't know. Yeah, I think he's going down. So meanwhile, Bruce David is upset that the guard is telling him that no one can communicate with Salamander, and Bennett Defends Salamander. He says, when he works in records, no one is allowed in. (laughs) And Bruce Davis is confused. Like, okay, I understand if it was like a lab or something, but he's in records. What if a world emergency occurred? And (laughs) Bennett says, it wouldn't do any good. And when the locks are switched over, they can only be opened from the inside. So kind of weird, you know, for some reason, when he's doing Mm -hmm. research, no one can talk to him. And now we see (laughs) Salamander Enter a room, but now his clo- he's changed his clothing into these very dirty clothes, and he has his sort of, you know, world ruler clothes or whatever, and he puts them in a in a drawer.
2: Yeah, I'm not sure exactly what he's changed into, but it kind of reminded me of like a Michael Myers boiler suit, you know, the <laughs> yeah. sort of one piece. Um, and you can see, especially when he gets out at the at his destination, that. Uh, um it's got like, you know, it's all black, so he's got these sort of white marks like there's dirt or flour mm-hmm. or something all over it. But it's dirty anyway,
0: very different from his usual presentation. And meanwhile, in another room, we see people in white uniforms with various designs on them, which is actually right out of the Ice Warriors. <laughs> it's very similar where, you know, they have these these funky designs on on white clothing. I was gonna point that out if mm-hmm. I remembered. Yeah, I mean they would
2: fit right in. They've got the yeah, like you said, same patterns. The 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 uh, the the op art black ink on on a white background. So yep, yeah. and they're all maybe they mm-hmm. they are just reusing them. Actually, I don't <laughs> know, but
0: I think they're different. But it's interesting. And they're all in a yeah. room where they're checking readings and doing various things. And then we hear Salamander over the loudspeaker. He says, I have returned. Take radiation precautions. I will make a report about the surface. And everyone's happy that Salamander's back, and they hope he's found more food. And uh, in in case you had missed it, by the way, this is that subtle twist I was talking
1: about. (laughs) Yeah,
2: you know, it took me for about 30 seconds or a minute. I thought, oh, weird. You know, this maybe Salamander actually is a good guy, or at least he's (laughs) like, you know, leader of these mole people and they're trying to defend themselves against because we've seen that before like the the crab people although the crab people weren't good guys they were just had their own agenda but uh, yeah this uh this messed with my mind for a moment not much longer than that though well
0: and i gotta (laughs) say i love this about this story and and, and, then because of this twist where it turns out there's this whole underground society that he's running and telling that, you know, there's been a war up on the surface and they can't go back and everything. Um, Mm -hmm. It actually makes it one of the only stories that I think where the six episodes works, right? Because we don't get this twist until the fourth episode. So essentially, Mm -hmm. you have half the story in the first three episodes and half the story in the last three episodes. And I actually think it works, right? Um,
2: Yeah, Mm yeah. I, I, I think I would have liked to see them distributed a little more because when we get to episode six, it seemed very rushed to me. <laughs> that's true, yeah. Uh, but, uh, but, uh, overall, uh, yeah, each episode brings some new interesting stuff. So that's, uh, that's been good. And, and it occurred to me once I got a better idea of what's going on Salamander, in addition to all his other de- bad deeds, uh, <laughs> he's, he's basically like more evil than Vault Tech in the Fallout <laughs> games because he's actually lying about there being a nuclear war. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, I mean, he's screwing over two different societies at the same time, which is pretty
2: impressive.
1: <laughs> <right>? <laughs>
0: Uh, so, you know, but like I said, everyone's happy that Salamander's back cause he's kind of their connection to food and everything. And we see a woman and her boyfriend talk and he's planning to ask Salamander to take him to the surface. He's tired of being down here. His girlfriend points out that no one who has accompanied Salamander to the surface has ever come back alive, which might be a little hint there, <laughs> and, <laughs> but he's like, I want to see the sun again. I want to stop being a rat underground and. Like ah, the sun is overrated, dude. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can uh, you know if you, if you got to go out and, and restock your supplies, that's understandable. But Salamander's doing that for you. Yeah.
0: Uh, so there's a man with a clipboard who will find out is swan, and he enters the room where Salamander is, and Salamander is really acting exhausted, right? <laughs> so, uh, but. <laughs> And he warns him not to get near him due to the radiation as he hasn't yet been decontaminated. And Swan's like, oh, you do too much. But Salamander says, well, someone has to bring back the food. Someone has to do all this, even though the radiation is slowly killing me. So he's really playing up his uh, situation here.
2: <laughs> yeah, and I, I think even at this point, I, I guess maybe it was more than just a moment that I was wondering what's going on because I thought, "Oh, wait a minute, is he is he really dying?" And, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, then where would the radiation come from? You know, it just took me a minute to sort of assemble all this. And well, my, now we know mind.
0: you you and, would have been one of the happy you know moles down. <laughs> down underground. I guess so. <laughs> and uh, so Salamander gets into a decontamination booth, and there's this meter that goes up to 100 and then slowly goes down as he's theoretically decontaminated, right? Uh, and then Salamander has good news for everyone. He's found another store of food, and it's undamaged. And he tells them, let's celebrate by opening the last store of wines." <laughs> yeah, at least he brought him wine. That's <laughs> nice. My impression is he didn't bring him wine. That They had wine, and he was like, oh, this is the last wine, and you can open it up anyway. Ah, could be. But, uh, yeah, I I guess if they
2: had wine down there, I'd probably have to, like, uh, store up my rations for a few days so I could have enough for one good night of drinking. (laughs)
0: Yep. And Salamander goes on to Swan about how terrible it is up there. You know, you have no idea. And he then goes into the main room, and everyone swarms around him, congratulating him. And he reminds them all that it's the fifth anniversary since they hid themselves down here. And, you know, they're all working to fix things, but up there, it's still terrible. The war goes on and on. You never know when the air is clean and when it's poisoned. And we're going to have to fight for a while more, creating natural disasters, more more earthquakes and volcanic eruptions, always where the enemies of truth and freedom gather together. <laughs> 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 and, you know, it is, I actually appreciate how... They had kind of subtly in the first three episodes, you know, brought together this thing that he seems to always know about natural disasters before they happened. (laughs) Yeah. And it
2: was pretty clear from the volcano in Hungary, you know, at that point it became clear that he he had some means of triggering them. I thought it was fairly clear anyway.
0: Yes, but on the other hand, like, how could you possibly do that? Right, as the even the characters in the story, like some people were saying he Like, Dinesh was saying he's doing this, but other people totally reasonably are like, well, how could he be doing it, right? But nobody realizes, of course, that he has this whole underground set of people. (laughs) 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 And so the boyfriend demands an answer to when this will all be over. And Salamander says they'll return to the surface when there's a good chance of survival. And then he almost collapses because, again, he's just so (laughs) injured from all this. And he says, they must believe him. They cannot return to the surface until it is safe to do so. And the girlfriend and boyfriend talk again, and he insists on going to the surface. And she says, take me with you. I'd rather die on the surface than live without you. <laughs> True love. But also, she seems to be pretty young, so I'm not sure she's, you know, got all of her, you know, faculties together or priorities. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, so love. Salamander goes back into his room to check the power levels, and they, you know, everyone runs around bringing full power online. <laughs> Meanwhile, he's in his office smoking a cigar, right? So, like, you know, <laughs> he's supposed to be like falling over from radiation poisoning, but he's enjoying himself.
2: <laughs> i action and relaxing. <laughs> yep.
0: And next we see the doctor getting his hair cut slash redone in salamander style by Astrid because, you know, his hair is like parted differently uh, for salamander. And Giles agrees that he looks just like salamander. And someone is coming. The doctor thinks it might be Faria, the food taster, who they don't know has been shot. We see David Bruce's boots and it's the end of the episode. (laughs) Yeah, no, I
2: didn't know they were Bruce's boots, so I thought there would be some suspense, you know, for to for who it is the next episode. But uh, <laughs> Bruce was a, a big candidate for me. All right. Well, in episode five, uh, we start off back in the trailer, you know, at the end of the last episode, and it is Bruce who shows up. <laughs> It turns out that Bennick put a tracker under the trailer while he was there smashing teacups and whatnot. <laughs> uh The doctor denies planning to assassinate Salamander, but he, which is true. He didn't plan to assassinate him. That's against his code, except when it isn't. <laughs> he does, however, confess that uh he impersonated Salamander mm-hmm. and, uh, I mean, that's a pretty easy thing to confess, because he's a dead (laughs) ringer for him. Uh, He says his reason for impersonating him is that Salamander is holding his two friends prisoner. But I'm trying to think, back in the early episodes, did he actually start impersonating
0: him before... Well, yeah, he impersonated him in the the first episode when Bruce showed up, Um, if you recall. Ah,
2: that's right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yep. So... So, uh, so that's not his real reason for impersonating him. So he is telling a bit of a, uh, what, what's the word the British use? Porkies, I think, for uh, little little white lies. Yeah. Yeah. I I think, I think that's a term the British use. You can look it up and see, but I I think they say, uh, you know, where he's, he's telling porkies. They tell Bruce, you know, Jamie and Victoria, uh, they, they tell Bruce about, salamander framing kent and blackmailing fetter in um, but they don't have any physical evidence of it and they'd have to get to the research station to get physical evidence but bruce isn't having any of it and then astrid knocks out the one guard that bruce brought in and uh and grabs the guard's gun (laughs)
0: Uh, i find this funny because we don't see her attack the guard we just see her sort of holding the gun casually one second after she knocked out <laughs> this guard. So It's really bizarre cuz she's just standing there holding the gun very casually right after a big, you know what was supposed to be a, a big fight. But okay, whatever.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, if she if she gave him one good knockout punch uh, you yeah. know, or something like <laughs> it, it might not have been a big fight. Anyway, back at the research station, um A guard tells Benick that Salamander's still in the records room. Uh, Jamie and Victoria are brought by on stretchers. Uh,
0: They're both drugged up for now. (laughs) By the way, I I forgot to mention the last one. So they actually did a pretty good job of this. Both of them were on vacation in the last episode. um, And I didn't even notice. So they did a really nice job you know, with it. But it is kind of funny. Yeah. If you know that, then when you see them show up on a stretcher, it's like, oh, yeah, they're back from vacation. <laughs> <laughs> so Benek wants to be informed
2: when they wake up, and he's hoping that they're stubborn. He likes it when they're stubborn. Uh, yeah, this is another, and like, we,
0: he's so good at being a slimy guy. Just, and also, you know, I try not to mention these things these days, but for a children's show, I mean, he's so clearly mm-hmm. into torture, and he just refers to it. You know, multiple oh, yeah. times he's just like, "Oh, I can't wait to you know do this to you," and it's like, "Oh, god." <laughs>
2: <laughs> I think in this scene he only alluded to it, mm-hmm. saying that he liked when they're stubborn. But uh, there's really there aren't too many other ways you could interpret that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so back in the trailer, uh, Bruce Astrid has the gun on him, but Bruce says they're they're surrounded by other guards outside, so they can't fight their way out. Um, but, uh, I think it's Kent who points out that, uh, you know, they could kill us quickly, but we can kill you quicker. (laughs) Um, so doctor, the doctor, or, well, I'm, I'm convinced at this point, uh, there's enough Evidence in the various episodes that, that his name actually is Doctor Who, but uh, <laughs> I, I try to defer to your uh, strange obsession with calling him the Doctor whenever I can. Uh, the Doctor asks Astrid for the gun, um, and and says to trust him, um, and then he aims it at Bruce for just a moment, which uh, is amusing because we know he's not going to do anything with it. He's uh, he's just that uh, impeccably moral. Uh, but then he gives it back to Bruce. And he says, I give you back that gun because I trust you. Now I want you to trust me. <laughs> so Bruce agrees that he and the doctor will go to the research station, but Kent and Astrid will stay back here in the trailer under guard. They'll be like hostages. Mm-hmm. Down in the underground bunker, meanwhile, Salamander has put some cases of food on a conveyor belt for the workers to unload down <laughs> there. Um, So they're coming into the facility from somewhere outside it. Colin, who is the boyfriend who's eager to get up to the surface, he starts complaining to Swan, who's the man in charge. You know, he's tired of being down here, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Mary scolds him. Mary's the girlfriend, mm-hmm. of course. Uh She says, Colin, and he pipes down and walks away. She takes a moment to commiserate with Swan, and then Swan walks away, and Colin comes back, and she commiserates with Colin. And Colin says, uh, I don't say I doubt him, but just once, Mary, just once, I want to see <laughs> with my own eyes what's going on up there, which mm-hmm. I can understand that, you know? You just well, want to-
0: yeah, and there's some point in here where the doctor—oh, I'm sorry, not the doctor—where <laughs> Salamander points out that he and her, you know, were just like teenagers when they were first down here, right? So now they'd be like in their oh, early twenties yeah. because it's been five or six years.
2: Yeah, you know? I think it's when he first enters, he says something there, you know, back when he first got down here, it says something like, uh, "Look, that they're all grown up," you know, or <laughs> words to, words to that effect, mm-hmm. yeah. You know? So Swan is checking out the food on the conveyor, the the food that's coming in from Salamander's new shipment. And there's a box of meat among all the commodities, and amusingly, at least to me, it's labeled fragile. <laughs> I I don't know how often meat is packed in fragile packages well I mean, you know uh, if
0: it's veal i mean you don't want to beat it up you want to, well maybe you do want to beat I, it up because it makes well, it tenders <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah but if you beat it up then it's going to have shards of glass in it i mean <laughs> there are only so many fragile materials you can put in a box with meat <laughs> so but anyway on the box of this fragile meat uh turns out there's a torn piece of paper stuck to it that Salamander apparently overlooked. And Swan reads this paper, and then he rushes to the Salamander's locked office. when um, he tells him over the intercom that he needs to see him urgently.
0: And, so and the Salamander office, doesn't want to see
2: him, right? But he finally gives in. Yeah. He's just something like, go away, I'm busy. <laughs> he's smoking a cigar. And I, and I really thought... During these episodes, you know, and maybe this is why I mentioned it during the first few episodes. You know, I, I mentioned a few times I referred to Ricky Ricardo, you know, (laughs) who's Desi Arnaz from Isle Mm -hmm. of Lucy, who was Cuban. And, um, now I could be wrong and, and maybe the Yucatan accent is similar to Cuban. It's been long enough since I've been there that I, I can't recall for sure at this point, but I think troughton is doing a cuban accent for salamander i could be wrong but uh i don't know just certain things he says just remind me of uh ricky ricardo or maybe even (laughs) tony montana who of course was an american doing a cuban accent but uh anyway i could be wrong but uh yeah maybe one day one of our Numerous listeners will <laughs> <laughs> inform us uh, what the truth is. Anyway, uh, Swan shows Salamander this, this piece of paper, which is a newspaper article. You know, it's just a torn piece off of a newspaper. It's a newspaper article about the sinking of a cruise liner, or as the British call it in this article, the holiday liner. And it's dated just a year ago. Yeah, and they've been down here five years, so four think, years. As I
0: recall, it's 2017, so pretty close to our current. <laughs> these people are pretty close to our current timeline.
2: Yeah. So so four years after the war, the cruise lines were still running, apparently. Salamander thinks fast. He buys himself a little bit of time by uh, being quiet and sitting down and so on, you know, while he's thinking up an answer. <laughs> um, and he says... He says there are people up there, but they're deformed in mind and body. Uh, He says they have a kind of society, but it's evil, corrupt. (laughs) And Swan says, "Well, all these natural disasters we've been causing, then they're they're actually murder." Salamander says, "It's mercy." So Salamander finally relents and says, you can come to the surface with me like the other people who never came back. He doesn't say that part. (laughs) (laughs) But he says, don't tell the others about the newspaper just yet. See what's up there first. And after that, if you still want to tell everyone, i can't stop you
0: (laughs) he's kind of saying you know yeah they got cruises but they're really kind of sucky cruises
2: (laughs) (laughs) they're 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 cruises only for the deformed in mind and (laughs) body (laughs) so uh yeah when 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 salamander is making this deal i mean to us it's transparently obvious uh (laughs) what's what he's planning but uh yeah, to Swan, he, he's like, well, fair is fair. You know, I don't want to alarm people unnecessarily right. and so forth. So he makes an announcement on the PA, or uh, as the British might say, the Tannoy, that he's uh, leaving with Salamander. And outside, back in that main control room area, Colin starts whining because Swan gets to go to Tashi <laughs> Station while he's stuck down mm-hmm. here. Meanwhile, up in the uh, research station in the interrogation room, Bennick arrives, and Jamie at first defies him, and Bennick says he likes spirit and resistance. <laughs> Jamie says, "You must have been a nasty little boy." <laughs> Bennick says, "Oh, I was, but I had a very enjoyable childhood, <laughs> <laughs> which uh, I I can moderately identify with, I guess." <laughs> So Jamie using his uh martial powers takes out the guard that Benick brought in but turns out Benick has a gun a little pistol of some sort and he uh he holds it on Victoria which uh shuts Jamie up but Sal and Bruce come in before Benick can start anything too nasty did I say Sal and Bruce? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I, I put them in my notes most of the time as Sal. Salamander and Bruce come in, uh, and Salamander dismisses Bennick and the guard, and he starts asking questions of Victoria and Jamie. Now, now we know that this may and probably it may be and probably is, uh, the doctor actually, but he's, he's pulling off his best Salamander impersonation.
0: Yeah, which seems to be a little so, bit cruel, but it, I, I guess he does have a reason for this, as we'll see.
2: Yeah, well, well, he has to see if Jamie and Victoria will re will reveal information without being prompted to, because that's more likely to convince uh, Bruce, or at least my, get him thinking my, in the right direction.
0: My impression is he's trying to convince Bruce that he can impersonate Salamander, right, by getting his own friends to not recognize Who he is. That was my my impression. Ah,
2: Yeah, that would also be a side benefit. So, uh, Victoria and Jamie start listing all the suspicious things about Salamander. He's got personal guards. He's got a food taster, which aren't all that unusual for anyone in a position of power. I mean, when I was, I went to New York City in 87, and uh, even back then, Donald Trump had He was signing the art of the deal in the (laughs) lobby of Trump Tower at the time we were there. And there were different bodyguards scattered around the big atrium there. And so, so, but in addition to those suspicious, mildly suspicious features, then they also mentioned that he ruined Dinesh and he... uh, he didn't order for I to be killed, but, uh, he almost certainly didn't mind too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and, and she is dead now. So that's, uh, you know, the buck stops with salamander, so to speak. Victoria is getting more and more upset and she makes to punch salamander. Uh, and the doctor just folds like a cheap tent. He says, oh, Victoria, don't hit me. He's just very, uh, very theatrical mm-hmm. about it. Uh, he seems to be genuinely uh, terrified of being hit.
0: And we talked previously about, you know, how some actors can hold their faces. So he, when he's being salamander, his face is very rigid. But when mm-hmm. he's being the doctor, his face is very loose. So, you know, he sort of immediately goes into the doctor face here. <laughs> oh, Yeah.
2: <laughs> But Victoria's still skeptical. She'd she'd like to believe, I'm sure, that he's really the doctor. Uh, But she's not convinced, so he pretends to play a recorder because (laughs) they made him leave the recorder in the
1: TARDIS.
2: (laughs) And that convinces her. Bruce says there's still no proof that Salamander's evil, but the doctor counters that at least Bruce now has enough doubt to keep asking questions, Mm -hmm. which was his real... Goal all along. Out in the hallway, Benick uh, is talking to the records room guard again, and he chides him because he didn't let him know that Salamander came out of the records room. The guard says he didn't. (laughs) Uh, No one has come out of there yet. So that gets Benick's wheels turning a little bit. Mm -hmm. Back in the bunker, or outside the bunker now, Salamander is showing Swan, the boss, showing him a rock tunnel where uh, he says he keeps the food stores and the tunnel he says leads to the surface and this this is the thing that as we'll see it does and this uh, this makes no sense to me if that ride in the little tube device is all just a downward plummet because mm-hmm. we saw it was a long trip all right so either either the bunker the bunker seems to be near the trailer. We know that the trailer is at the edge of the research station's property, but we don't know exactly how close that it could have it could own the land for a mile around for all yeah. we know.
0: Uh, <laughs> well, this is that Doyle versus but, Watson, right? I mean, I think that they're just changing this as it's convenient, right? Because when we first saw yeah. him get in the thing and it goes down, that's the only thing that makes sense, right? There's no like extended set of tunnels or whatever, but now suddenly there's this set of tunnels. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: And if it really is down that far at the end of that long, long plummet, then to get out of these tunnels, I mean, you still have to get back up to the surface. <laughs> yeah. So, so anyway, it's, I don't know. It's, it's just, it's an oversight on the writer's <laughs> part, I think. Back in the trailer, Astrid has a plan to get Kent to the research station. You know, Kent Thinks he can get there and do some good, find some evidence, so on and so forth. Astrid's going to try and distract the guards to give him an opening to get out. Um, She says, oh, we're not going to attack the guard, but there is going to be an attack, a fatal one.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. And uh, one thing that's kind of fun about, about this episode is there's a lot of instances where something happens and it's like a mini cliffhanger where they switch <laughs> the scene immediately yeah. so it, it it works pretty well it's uh i i I will say that this this whole story arc has really kept me interested up to the very end mm-hmm. so uh that that's a good thing even if some of the answers aren't entirely satisfactory <laughs> uh, you know at, le- at least it keeps you involved mm-hmm. and that's uh uh, What is it? Sheriff Bart in Blazing Saddles. I think he says, uh, always keep them riveted. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what the writers managed with this one for mm-hmm. me. Okay, nice. Back in the tunnel outside the bunker, a swan complains the salamander never showed anyone this tunnel. It would have been a nice change of scenery for everyone. <laughs> And, uh, you know, it's not super irradiated. Well, yet, yeah, in part 'cause he's you know. like,
0: oh, this, yeah. I mean, Salamander sort of makes the mistake of saying, oh, this part of the tunnel isn't very irradiated, which he kind of has to say, because otherwise, how could he be going through here? But that's when Swan's like, well, then you should have brought us up here, right? So, yeah. yeah. What, <laughs> <you know.
2: laughs> so now we get to the point where, uh What we knew was going to happen is starting to happen, and Salamander surreptitiously picks up a foot-long lead pipe that's mm. lying on a crate. So, he's going to be Mr. Mustard in the stone <laughs> tunnel, <laughs> or Colonel Mustard, I mm. should say. Pardon me. Mr. Mustard was a Beatles thing, wasn't it? <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, he picks this up, and then we get another mini cliffhanger because the scene changes again. <laughs> <laughs> Back in the trailer, Astrid breaks the window. The noise summons a guard instantly. She says, Kent was shot through the window. There's a big wet patch on his forehead that's <laughs> obviously ketchup. I mean, even now, now you know, on the 12 inch screen, maybe it would look right. different. It is but, black uh, and white, too. So, could be, but he, yeah, he,
0: I had two reactions. One, I thought this was very clever, and they'd really gone out of their way to make it look like he'd been shot and everything. But also was obviously ketchup. But on the other hand, remember they smashed all the dishes and everything. Maybe they, maybe they missed, maybe they didn't go to the fridge and get the, the ketchup. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. I don't,
0: I don't
2: think they went that far to, to clean out the whole fridge. It's, uh, it's enough to smash the teacups. And as you <laughs> pointed out last time, uh, no self-respecting British person can stick around once the teacups are gone. <laughs> yeah. So as the guard is checking out the body, Astrid sneaks out the door behind him, but the guard notices and he gives pursuit. Outside the trailer, Astrid manages to hide in some bushes as the guard passes by. She waits for him to run off, and then she hears a call for help. And this is, I don't know, it seems like a really, really... I'm tempted to say unjustifiable, but uh, it may not go that far. It's just a really convenient coincidence. (laughs) Um, This call for help is Swan, who uh, somehow made it out of those tunnels. uh, And, you know, this is the point where if he was, if the bunker was that far down, Mm -hmm. rather than just being horizontally distant from the research facility, swan would have had to wander through God knows how many tunnels, you know, and presumably they'd be up a slow incline to the surface, so I don't know. (laughs) But somehow he got out of that tunnel. He's lying there. He's got a patch of blood behind his ear, which uh, doesn't look like ketchup. (laughs) (laughs) And he says, Salamander did it. Mm. And that's the end of the episode. (laughs) Mm. All right. A
0: shocking conclusion. (laughs) So episode six. Uh, Swan, you know, having been very injured, he points Astrid to where Salamander attacked him. And she wanders off. And elsewhere, Donald Bruce can't believe the TARDIS crew's claim that Salamander is attacking the world with natural disasters. And, you know, as I often point out on these things, yeah, of course, that's a ridiculous claim. <laughs> always, you know, we're always supposed to be on the side as you Like, if you come to me and say that, I'm like, yeah, right.
2: <laughs> um, well, I would hope if I said it to you, you'd at least <laughs> consider
0: it. <Yeah. laughs> and the doctor turns around and discovers that Benek has entered the room. Meanwhile, outside, Swan asks Astrid to get water for him. She heads into the tunnel that he pointed her to. And we switch back to the doctor. He's talking to Bennick as Salamander, trying to convince him. And he reluctantly agrees to sign some papers for Bennick. And then Bennick, you know, he's clearly on to him now, right? He says, well, the door to the records room was jammed. Was it okay when you left it? And, you know, the doctor says, oh, it was fine. And Bennett asked him for the key. Then uh, the doctor doesn't have the key. He left it in the room like a fool. Uh, <laughs> Bennick says he'll use the emergency key, but I you know, we can be pretty clear. Bennett kind of knows what's going on at this point.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And the doctor, I doubt the doctor practiced salamander signature at all. Or... <laughs> That's
0: true. They didn't get to that. The doctor is impressed by the papers that Bennick brought. Um, Because per David Bruce, there are about a dozen people employed by the research center, but according to these papers, 30 people are employed there. Now, to me, that's (laughs) not suspicious. That's just standard corporate accounting and people grifting and all that, but okay. (laughs) Yeah.
2: And if there are only a dozen people, then 11 of them must be security guards. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Uh, Meanwhile, we see Astrid using a compress to get some water from the walls and use it on Swan's head. And he's... You know, he still doesn't know what's going on, so he asked her how bad the war was, and she's like, the war? I I don't understand. And he said, well, what's—and Swan says, what's he done? He kept us prisoners, and he tells her about the people who were, you know, underground, however far underground they are, (laughs) and (laughs) asked her to bring them to the surface, and then he conveniently dies. Meanwhile, the doctor is on the phone as Salamander and he orders people to come in and escort two prisoners, Jamie and Victoria, who are to be set free. And then the phone rings and the doctor gives authority to allow a visitor to come in. And he asks David Bruce to take Jamie and Victoria to the gate so they can get to the TARDIS. And then he's like, What's the TARDIS? And they're like, Oh, you know, it's just a place we all like to go to. <laughs> uh, <laughs> underground, people are excitedly eating their latest gruel from Salamander. And the alarm sounds, indicating that Salamander has returned. But it's actually Astrid. As she was going through the tunnel, she figured out how to get down here. And uh, she plays with some switches until she gets the door to open. And everybody runs away from her. Because they're, and this is pretty good, and it's very consistent in the story, right? They're sure she must be totally radiated or irradiated, whatever the correct term is. And uh, she says she's here to help, and they all start attacking her.
2: <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Yeah, and that that's a little excessive because they didn't hear Salamander's little speech to Swan
0: about how people are
2: deformed in body and <laughs> really? mind and all that.
0: You know. Yeah, presumably he's told them this before. Yeah, uh, it could be. The boyfriend guy orders everyone back, and he asks about Swan, and she says he's dead but not from radiation. Salamander killed him. Now, they insist on decontaminating her, so they have her get into that cubby we saw earlier, and the meter goes to like 100, and then it goes down. And so they're like, oh, now you've been decontaminated. And she uh, puts a ruler into the cubby, and the exact same thing happens, right? It goes into to 100 and then goes down. Turns out it was a trick all along.
2: Yeah, and she explains briefly that you know, the, the, the opening that enters into that decontamination chamber has like an electric eye hooked up to it, that when you break the light, that triggers it to give the fake rent gun display of, you know, the needle going up and then going down right. as it decontaminates. And then they want supposedly. to know about
0: the war. And she's like, What war? <laughs> um, and then we see Jamie and Victoria going through a corridor and they get stopped by a guard, but David Bruce saves them, you know, hey, I'm with these guys. Um, and now we see underground again and it's chaos. Everyone's upset. Um, and Astrid's like, Well, now that Swan is dead, you know, you, the girlfriend and boyfriend, seem to be the leaders, so she just sort of chooses them, even though they're very young. It seems very unlikely (laughs) they would be the leaders, but okay. Above ground, Giles is nosing around, and he goes into the records room, and Salamander confronts him, and Giles says he's been looking forward to this meeting. Salamander's getting careless as he didn't double lock the doors to the records room. And Giles says, the biggest mistake you ever made was not killing me when you had the chance. And he pulls a gun on Salamander. Outside the room, David, Bruce, and Benick are watching all this on a screen, but they can't get in. And Giles says, the world is going to get along fine without Salamander from now on. The only good idea Salamander ever had was getting rid of Giles, and he couldn't even do that properly. <laughs> <laughs> And outside, they start using, well, I call it the torch. It's a blowtorch or whatever. They're trying to get into the room, but, uh, not very effective.
2: Yeah. It's shooting out, shooting out sparks. It looks like. So it's, it almost looks like a welding. Uh, I can't remember the term for welding iron, maybe, but, uh, maybe I'm confusing (laughs) that with soldering iron, Hmm. but anyway. Yeah. It's, um, they're, they're trying to cut through it like the people in aliens cut through the doors you know the marines cut through the doors but but they're not having any luck um i wanted to point out something here it 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 took me a moment to think about it while while you were describing this last scene here but it's reasonable for astrid to think that um colin especially would be the leader because he's the one who intervened to stop everyone from attacking mm-hmm. her. Yeah, and everybody cool. listened, you know. And plus, earlier on, I don't know if we mentioned it, but uh, Mary, I think, pointed out that he was the most capable of everyone down there. So he may have been like Swan's right-hand man for <laughs> all we know.
0: Oh, well, that's fair. And I guess she's a good uh, judge of character. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Underground, we see that they're watching someone go up in the tunnel to the surface. So they're, you know, they're all surrounding the the video in the office that uh, Salamander had. And we see Giles now tell Salamander that he, you know, Giles knows how to get to the underground lair. But guess what? It wasn't Salamander. It was the doctor all along. (laughs) And, uh, (laughs) And he says, that's very interesting, Kent. Why didn't you tell me that before? And, um. And now Astrid and the boyfriend and girlfriend appear behind Giles with a gun. So yeah. I guess so. this is
2: another twist. On, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but it's another twist because up to now we've had really no reason that I can recall to suspect Giles.
0: Uh, uh, that is a major twist. Oh, and I'll also mention that, again, with Astrid and, and the two appearing behind them, it—, it the the thing going up and down just shows up wherever it needs to, right? So either you're in a tunnel or you're in this office, uh, you know, whatever the plot requires. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, no, I, I think, uh, you know, obviously when I talked about the twist earlier – and, and you know, last episode I was talking about the fact that there was this whole underground society. But we do get this second twist where Giles turns out to be a bad guy, which is, yeah, pretty shocking because I never would have um, suspected that. But we see the actual salamander watching all this on a monitor. And then Giles takes the doctor hostage with his gun. And uh, Giles says to everyone, we had to, uh, well, he says to, you know, the boyfriend and girlfriend, he says, we had to have someone create the natural disasters, didn't we? And we fooled you all. So, <laughs> very logical there. Hmm. And the doctor said he was never fooled given how quickly Giles would resort to murder. Now, I don't remember when we might have seen that or whatever, but okay, whatever.
2: Well, Well, Giles told him a few episodes ago that
0: he wanted the doctor to
2: assassinate yeah, him. Yeah, that's the true. The doctor's
0: like, no, I don't do that. That's true. And he says, you didn't just want to expose Salamander. You wanted to kill him and take his place. Um, and Giles jumps into the tube that goes underground. And on the monitor, they see that Salamander is coming into the cave where Giles is going.
2: Somehow we, we don't uh, we don't see them changing the camera controls. It's just sort of a... It must be an AI-assisted monitor that just shows them whatever they most need to see right. at the
0: motion-controlled, you know, whoever's moving.
2: <laughs> that could be, yeah.
0: Outside the room, uh, Benek has now—I mean, we don't really see what happened here, but all of a sudden he's sort of defeated with Donald Bruce, and he demands a fair trial, which is pretty funny because, of course, Benek would never give anybody a fair trial. Um, <laughs> and Bruce has Benek taken away. And the doctor calls for Bruce over the monitor and says Giles is going to try and blow them all up. So in the cave, we see Salamander hiding around a corner. And again, it's just confusing about like what the connection between this tube that goes down and the cave is. But okay, whatever. Um, <laughs> and he surprises Giles. And Salamander asks if Giles wants him to bury their differences. And, you know, Giles is like, well, we planned this together. It can be just me and you, you know, sort of the... <laughs>
2: We will rule the galaxy as father Yes, and son. exactly. <laughs>
0: that's what I was thinking of. <laughs> uh, but Salamander disagrees because he shoots Giles. <laughs> Giles then runs away. And Salamander shoots him again. And Giles says Salamander will die with him. And he pulls a nearby lever on a control panel. And apparently it's a very serious lever because Salamander's like, no, <laughs> which is also right out of the <laughs> Star Wars. There. And, there, and, and we- that's... Mm-hmm. Let me
2: say that's a defect in the design, I think, because you know, to blow up the Nostromo you had to do some pretty complex interactions with four different <laughs> <laughs> devices to blow up the ship. And here you just pull a lever that's just sitting out in the open. I mean <laughs> yeah. what if that what if that expedition from uh you know the uh Cybermen episode
0: came in there and just started
2: pulling the <laughs> levers?
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: And uh, it does cause an explosion serious enough to impact everyone in the room, even. uh, And Astrid is worried about the people underground, but they see that they're all still alive on the monitor. And Astrid says, we'll get to them somehow. She points out the doctor can't go down and help out because they're all going to think he's salamander and they're going to go after him.
2: And I think she also points out that she swore to Swan on his deathbed or death ground, (laughs) as it were. But she swore that she would would save them from the bunker. Yeah, she's taken that very much to heart.
0: Now we see Jamie and Victoria at the TARDIS because they had been sent back there a while back. And they see the doctor approaching and he's very injured. He's like bleeding, you know, and kind of limping. And Jamie brings him into the TARDIS. And the doctor looks at the control panel and he motions to Jamie to use the controls. He's sort of out of it. And Jamie's confused. He's like, well, you told us never to touch the controls. <laughs> and, uh, and then we hear, quite right, Jamie. And, and, of course, the real doctor is at the door. And this was the salamander all along. <laughs> and uh, salamander says, you were doing so well impersonating me, I thought I might return the compliment. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good line. <laughs> and the doctor says, we're going to put you outside, salamander. No friends, no safety. You'll run, but they'll catch up with you. And the Doctor and Salamander fight, which is, this is right out of, like, Star Trek, right, where you have to have the Captain and the Captain uh, Doppelganger uh, fighting each other. (laughs) And Salamander grabs a control. The TARDIS goes crazy. The crew hold on to things. But unfortunately for Salamander, he slides out the door into space.
2: Actually, I think it might not just be space. I think it might be the dimension of space and time Mm -hmm. (laughs) warping stuff that... uh, the air's going to be pretty thin out there, I think. Salamander <laughs> isn't going to last long, would yep. be my guess. That's the end of the
0: episode. Yeah, I think they—I uh, As I have a recollection that they wanted to have more scenes with them together, but they could only manage just in terms of time and schedule and everything to do the one last scene, mm. which I, I think is fine. I, I don't think they needed to have them yeah. together before that, but— uh You know, I I don't think we have any bad acting in this. We have actually some really good actors uh, all around. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, as we've said, a story that's pretty surprising and I think is one of the, maybe the only case I can think of certainly so far where six episodes was justified because the fact that they pivoted to the underground thing gave them a lot more to work with, you know, instead of just repeating Mm -hmm. themselves for the last couple of episodes.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean... uh... Faria was great. I'm going back to the acting for a minute here. <laughs> I mean, just, uh, you got me thinking about, you know, Bennick was great. Faria was good. Uh, Bruce, Federin was fun. You know, Mr. Mike. Yeah, yeah. And of course, Troughton as Salamander, he was, uh, super entertaining. So yeah, really, uh, a lot of fun people to watch in these episodes. Um, yeah. It's, yeah, except uh, except
0: for a couple uh, of moments, uh, Jamie and Victoria kind of get left out. Right? Jamie gets a couple of moments. Victoria really doesn't get anything in this. But,
2: you know. Yeah. Well, well, she did. She did go to punch the doctor, which mm. she thought she was punching Salamanders. <laughs> so that's uh, that's a little that's bold, true. you know. That's, uh pretty good. And I'll give her give her credit for that one. Um, but yeah, well, they were on vacation for one episode too, <laughs> so you can't expect too much but yeah it's just uh, like i said it they held my attention all the way through and uh, uh that's not something i can say about every doctor who episode <laughs> <laughs> I've, uh or story arc that i've that i've watched so far so uh, yeah this is this is in my opinion uh, you know now there are the plot holes we pointed out some of them mm. as we've been talking um and there are you know there are some of the usual Convenient coincidences and uh, you know, things. Uh, I think it's called refrigerator logic, where you uh, you go to the fridge after watching, and then you realize, wait a minute, that, <laughs> that didn't make sense. But in the moment, I was I was kept uh, kept riveted. So uh, uh, I'll say this is one of the more worth watching story arcs in the Doctor Who that I've seen so far.
0: <laughs> Uh, well, I nice. say, I'm glad you like it because, yeah, it's one of my favorites. And I it's one of the, I would say, for me especially, two high points of Troughton. If we haven't got to the second one yet. We'll oh. get there eventually. So uh, that, I, that, that I've seen. I mean, so many of these we've watched uh, I have never seen before. So I, I may still be surprised as we go forward. Although I think we're, you know, I think we've seen most of the animated ones. Um uh, I haven't looked ahead, though, to see. So, yeah, definitely totally worth watching. Really enjoyable. Um, and I had, I, you know, unfortunately I sort of spoiled it by saying people liked one of these stories after they came out in full and didn't like the other one so much. But hopefully you'll you'll go into the next one, The Web of Fear, with an open mind. <laughs> well, you know, it it, it it could be
2: good. There was that one... I think it was the first season, the two-parter where the TARDIS went haywire, Mm -hmm. Um, and I liked that one. I know later on you you mentioned that I had said something that you made you think I recanted somewhat, but uh, I still remember those episodes fondly because Mm -hmm. even though it turned out to be something very different than I thought was going on, um, it still had that air of paranoia and suspense and mystery and so on. So. Um. So yeah, the web of fear could be. It might be something that I enjoy watching, and then come away from it thinking, yeah, that was kind of a ripoff. <laughs>
0: well, I'll give you the spoiler we'll that it is a sequel to the Tibetan story. Oh so. <laughs> really? Oh, yeah.
2: the uh, formless intelligence or the Mm-mm. the little uh, fibrous fungus that ends up coming. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay. Well, well. That uh, yeah, Tibetan story was uh, so so, you know, as I remember it. I don't remember what I said about it at the time, but it had its moments, yeah. it had its charms. <laughs>
3: From there, we visited. Uh, I think it was Kaduna, which is one of the oldest stations in Nigeria. Again, I knew that Kaduna was the one that, that had bought a lot of Doctor Who's back in the 1960s. That's where the paperwork said it was. It was sold to, and they disposed of all of their film, not quite all of it. Uh, I remember asking to go and look in an old prop store, which was the place they kept the film and me being me I was climbing over shelves and stuff like that and there was a carpet there and I pulled the carpet back and lo and behold there were two episodes of the sky at night from the 1960s which was a nice thing to find. The next day we went to Jos, which was in Bueno Plateau. You know you, you go to these places and you don't have any expectation of what you're going to find. You, you're going into a system that's long been broken down. And When you've been to Kaduna you realise the film's been disposed of and you think to yourself, well, everything's gone, you know, and is this going to be the pattern for everywhere else? If it is, that's fine, we can accept that because it puts, a, puts an end to any rumour or anything like that, which is important. And we'll move to the next station and see what, what's there. However, when we got to Joss and we got inside, this was a station that had not been touched in, a, in you know, probably 40 years. Things were still on the shelf. Um, and that 's where I found the doctor Who 's The film store was quite quite a small area, really, uh, lots of Dexian and racking all around, and uh, bits of masking tape sort of the world about us, and you know a couple of other programs, some American shows and then there was this small piece that said, "Oh, Doctor Who on it?" and I thought, oh my god let 's let's take a look at this, pulling the looking at the cans and the the content inside, obviously, they, they matched. It was a really exciting moment, you know, it's one of those moments you think, oh, what am I gonna do now? We were really lucky with the condition of the films. The room they were stored in wasn't air conditioned. It was a dark room. Some of the films that had been stored there, I think there was a Morecambe and Wise print there, was just basically mush. It was, you know, it was a sad thing to see because it was one of the the early first series they did for the BBC, for BBC Two. Upon examining those Doctor Who films, all 12 of them, they were in pretty good condition, I thought. Not perfect. No, I wouldn't say, you know, there wasn't any strong sense of vinegar or anything like that, but I think we arrived just in time. I think any longer, and I I think we'd have had real problems recovering those programmes. So we arrived, you know, absolutely in the nick of time. And strangely enough, I spoke to the guy who, was the, who actually bought the programmes for Kaduna, and he said, oh, I have instructions to destroy those. So I said, no, please don't destroy them. We're quite happy to have them back as per the original contract, which was to destroy, return, or send to another broadcaster. So our intervention there was very, very timely.
1: You fool!